I'm Ahsoka. Master Yoda sent me. You're reckless, little one. You never would have made it as Obi-Wan's Padawan. But you might make it as mine. If you're gonna face Maul, you'll need these. I took care of them. They're good as new. Maybe a little better. Care to tell me what this is all about? Or would you rather save it for the Council? Were you not cast out of your order? I left voluntarily. Yes, but you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. I'm sorry, Commander. I was hoping for Kenobi. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars Binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. That is true. This is the sound of my voice. My man! How you doing? I'm doing great. We're starting a Star Wars podcast. Yes, we are. Going to tackle a galaxy far, far away. Apparently, uh, there's a big hole in the podcasting universe for, for shows like this, I bet. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I've not done any research on this, but I'm pretty sure we're the only Star Wars podcast out there. We have about three years of material that we're going to be slowly diving into that's some of the best artwork of the 21st and late 20th century. When you say it like that, Sound, it sounds a little daunting. <laughs> and you and I are the guys to tackle it. Yes, sir. If you have not yet listened to our intro podcast, please do. You'll get kind of the lowdown on where we're going. But we are jumping in with the first episode of our binge. In order to get into this, we need to talk just Star Wars in general. Say it were the case that I took the original trilogy off the table. What is your most rewatchable Star Wars movie? Uh, my favorite is Solo, uh -huh. but I watch only scenes from that. So I would say in terms of the most rewatchable uh, Star Wars film other than the originals, I'm going to say Rogue One. I'm a huge Rogue One fan as well. I think if I were putting just a movie, that's where I'm going. However, if you gave me just two hours of any Star Wars there is, it is actually these four episodes that we're going to start the binge with. Ooh. I could watch these over and over and over again, which apparently I have here recently prepping <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just love the hell out of them. Not, so not the holiday special. You know what? Still haven't watched it. I've, I've heard bad things. I've heard it's a drug-induced LSD trip. It's pretty profoundly terrible, but, but in sort of a delightful way. I heard Carrie Fisher, when she wanted to get people out of her house after parties, would throw that sucker on. <laughs> And turn up the volume. I believe it. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I might actually change my answer to that because I've watched that so many times. It's so bad. I think in in terms of Star Wars that are not the originals that I have watched a ton of, it's that. You're bringing down the credibility. I've of just show, I've only brought you? down the credibility of myself. <laughs> I'm not saying it's the best made by any stretch of the imagination. I just enjoy watching bad things. Well. 
As we've said, we are starting the binge with the very end of Star Wars animated series, The Clone Wars. This is often called The Siege of Mandalore. If you have Disney+, Plus, it's the last four episodes of Season 7, starting with Episode 9. This arc, and we're going to talk about arcs in a second, but this arc, this four-episode arc, is in essence a movie. It begins with the Lucasfilm logo, moved to the John Williams music, put together as a movie with acts, and it's got a great culminating scene. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting into Clone Wars for the first time, this is a great place to jump into because it's a bit more mature. Yeah. And you will not have the problem many of us had connecting to this time period because this, this is some top shelf material. Yeah, this this felt like, in watching this, I felt the same things I, I can remember feeling when I first started to watch Star Wars, like really being drawn to characters, really enjoying what I was seeing, wanting more of the world, being disappointed when it was over. Yes. This this whole arc has everything you like in Star Wars. Like you said, it's it's got Jedi, it's got Sith. It's got bounty hunters, it has droids, it has the troopers. It's literally got everything. One of the things that we're doing in starting the binge is we're going to start in the middle. Some of the greatest films ever actually start with the end or with the middle of uh, their storytelling. Pulp Fiction, Fight Club. Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard Yep, begins with... The, the body floating in the pool of this murdered young screenwriter. Lawrence of Arabia begins with the ending. Oh, yeah. God, I didn't even think about that. Citizen Kane begins with the ending. Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, The Usual Suspects. All of these have that kind of... Memento. And Memento carries that through in a different kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it does. We are, for the sake of the binge, going to begin with the ending. Because we are just that self-confident to put ourselves, you know, up there with with some of the greats. Absolutely. So, quick, couple reasons for this move, which I would love your thoughts on. Um, The first one for me is I want people to get hooked, and the quality of this arc is very high. I completely agree. It really felt like a movie, and each time it would stop to play the next one, I found myself getting really anxious for it. I'm like, just come on, get, just get me to the, like, you should have just played them all together. Like, it is structured so much like a film. It's exceptional. The second big thing for me is I went clear that the Clone Wars, like so many of our wars, is an utter waste of valuable human life. Big time. And that that is a message the Star Wars creators actually want to convey through all of Clone Wars, but we don't actually realize it perhaps until the end. But I think it's so valuable to know that up front, that they believe this and to interpret everything through that lens. I completely agree. There there are a couple of moments where you really see the, um, I hate to say political statement, but I'm going to say maybe the social statement of of how unnecessary mm-hmm. uh, it all is and and I love that. I also really think this episode and this arc do so much to sort of damage control the prequel films. Absolutely. Specifically with Revenge of the Sith because yep. so much happens so quickly and characters are just disposed of and things change and it moves around and and you you're sort of left you're sort of left being kind of disappointed and wanting more and thinking what that happens that quickly. Whereas this, the the whole series in general, but specifically this arc 
God, it just, it puts so much more emotional stakes in what happens in that film in particular. That's a great word for it. It's a, there's a lot of emotion that's added to what we see in episode three, which does nothing but compliment and even greatly enhance. Yeah. yeah. As a Star Wars fan, I want to see what the characters that I'm going to fall in love with are becoming in the end so that I have real buy-in when I see them in their, you know, younger form. Ahsoka in particular can be a difficult character to get into if you don't realize where she's going. She has a Sansa Stark problem at times where she's so immature that you don't quite resonate with her. Right. The good news for Sansa is there's all sorts of really interesting things going on in Game of Thrones and she's allowed to develop. The problem with the Clone Wars is Ahsoka is absolutely primary to you engaging the storytelling and so seeing where she's going matters oh yeah absolutely I, I will also say I I really enjoyed it because as I'm as I'm watching this sort of along with our audience I'm not as familiar with her character and some of the characters we meet in this world as someone like yourself is but I'm I'm also watching things like the Mandalorian so you're meeting some of these characters that have this weight and, and you know, as a Star Wars fan, I know their names. I'm just not very familiar with them. But even in, in just how well the Mandalorian is crafted, thinking these characters are so great, now to sort of go and back into meeting them through this episode is phenomenal. You're like, oh, there's, yeah, wow, okay, cool. So this is where this is going, and then this must be where this goes from here. Yep. One final thought. I'm convinced that Ahsoka is the single best window through which to see the rest of all of Star Wars. This character, when elevated correctly, I think ends up being the character that brings a huge extra level of insight, understanding, beauty, and perspective to nearly everything that takes place in all of canon. If we are invested in Ahsoka, then we'll be able to see Anakin, the clones, the fall of the Republic, and the Jedi Order in the most moving and emotionally significant light. Yeah, it kind of makes you go, I care so much for her character because she's written, animated, and vocally performed in just such a such a beautiful human way. If you see her liking all these other characters, you think, I'll keep watching. That's how it is. If Star Wars works it's because we are able to see the humanity of Anakin Skywalker. The whole project seems to me to hang or fall on whether or not you can get there. That's clearly what the motive of the original trilogy is. It's clearly what they're trying to elevate in the prequels. And Ahsoka does that better than any other character. Like Luke clearly has love and passion for his father, but he doesn't know his father. Right. Ahsoka knows Anakin and has a depthy, unique relationship with him that she's willing to suffer for. And if we believe that that Anakin is worthy of redemption, then everything else is going to work. If, if we don't believe Anakin Skywalker is worthy of redemption, I'm not sure that this project is meaningful. <laughs> 
it's a it's space wizards and a bunch of spaceships. I mean, it's which I mean, I'm not gonna. That sounds great to me, but we get to see blaster fire and explosions and all the rest. If you can have bread and circus, but if it's meaningful, theater and storytelling in general is meant to be both bread and circus. You don't want just the circus. You also want something something substantial, but you can't just force feed people heavy things of substance you got to give them a little bit of circus as well and i think yep this this four episode arc is is a perfect example of that yep star wars at its best it it's gonna have the both and give me some depth all right you want to get into this let's do it we see the original 70s old school lucasfilm logo come up and when that popped and i'm watching this for the first time i was like Dear God, they're going to do something else. Yeah. And I got so excited. And then they launched into the John Williams score. And it blew my head off. Like, if you have not seen The Clone Wars yet, then this will feel just like, okay, yeah, we're watching Star Wars again. That's how they start these things. But for those of us who have watched through The Clone Wars a handful of times, when they decided to use John Williams to intro, it was just like, oh, we're going to really lock this in with all the other Star Wars canon. And it just was so beautiful. And then we see the it's it's not yellow graphics. Throughout The Clone Wars, it's going to be this yellow icon of The Clone Wars. But this one's red. It's just like a, like a deep blood red, too. Like, oh, it's good. And they make you know that it's going to be an arc because it says part one, old friends not forgotten. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have a few parts apparently. Yeah. (laughs) My mind went to old friends not forgotten just thinking, okay, who are we about to see? Yep. A lot of uh, anticipation right out of the gate. Yep. John Williams gets cut off, though, and then we move to the voice of a narrator. This is the first time we hear the narrator in the bench, and he says... Outer Rim, under siege. Separatist forces have launched a major offensive. Led by the evil droid General Grievous, Republic forces are pushed to the brink. In response to this overwhelming attack, the Jedi Council has dispatched its generals, sending them far from the core worlds to bolster the beleaguered clones. On the distant planet of Yavama, we find Commander Cody of the 212th in desperate need of reinforcements. So much to discuss right up front. The first is the just the title. Part one, Old Friends Not Forgotten. This title comes from something Yoda says. He's speaking to Luke. You'll remember this. Oh, man. <laughs> in which he's training Luke to use the Force. And he says, Through the Force, things you will see, other places, the future, the past, old friends long gone. There's a spin on this, yeah? Oh my gosh, yes. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and that's fantastic. You will remember long dead friends for Yoda, but here, these are friends that are not forgotten. It's a subtle move there. Yes. It's a rhyme. We're going to talk about rhymes in a minute. But this is setting up, obviously, a lot of what goes on in this episode of friendship, loyalty, history, battling together. This is all over this arc, yeah? Oh yeah. And it's part one. It's part one of the arc. 
Now, here's the thing with the Clone Wars, where the episodic films are going to have the opening crawl. What the Clone Wars do is they simply have this World War II-style narrator giving us backstory that we would normally read. But they infuse it with lots of action, lots of quick cuts. And as always, the narrator here is going to give us a ton of information to comb through. For those who are new to the Clone Wars but know about Star Wars, the images here are going to feel very familiar. There are a lot of spaceships. There's a lot of Jedi action. If we've seen episode three a few times, we will recognize some of the Jedi, mm. the villains, and the geography. We see General Grievous, who's in episode three. We see Yoda, who we're clearly going to be familiar with. Hopefully. <laughs> One of the bigger things is there's two Jedi who we see just before their death in Revenge of the Sith. We see Ayala Sakura who is the blue Twi'lek Jedi with the head tentacles yeah. just before she's killed on Felucia. And we see Plo Koon, who is the creature who looks like he has a rotisserie chicken on his head and a big mask. <laughs> and he has one of, he's, he's manning this single Jedi craft and we're going to see him blow up in episode three. But this, both of these, it's just right before they die. And we're like, wait, wait, wait I, I remember seeing this. You got thoughts on the, on this opening? I think it's I think it's brilliantly done. It immediately tells you where you are. You know what I mean? It is it's butted up so well against episode three. You you see a lot of these characters right before they meet the demise we already know that they're going to meet. Yep. And that was the first thing I thought. It was like, oh my god, that guy's about to die. Yeah. We were talking about anxiety. That's actually one of those things. It's like I don't care about that character yet, but I do know that I've seen them die in the past, and it's like, oh, this is where we're at. You're beginning at tragedy, even if no tragedy has actually taken place on the screen yet. Yeah. In the same way that Hamlet does. Yep. You know you're beginning with tragedy, and that is going to color and hang over all four of these episodes. They stick the landing hard. Yes. This is a this is a tragic tale. It doesn't end on an on an upward swing. Maybe that's one of the reasons that this this movie hits me so well. What do you call that when you end on, you're not ending with the hero winning, you're ending with the downbeat? Yeah, it's tragedy. I immediately thought of a joke answer, and I'll be like, I think that's just real life. <laughs> what do you call it when the thing you don't want to happen happens and the good guys don't necessarily win? <laughs> Thursday, you call that? So we know where we are with this in narration. Lastly, the narrator says that the Outer Rim is under siege. The Jedi are being sent far from the core worlds to bolster up the activities there. But if we're paying attention, we will realize that given the opening battle of Episode 3, we know that all this activity is a distraction. Whatever the Separatists are doing, they're trying to draw people away from Coruscant. Yeah. Grievous is pulling the Jedi out away from the center of the galaxy to the outer rim so that he can assault Coruscant, kidnap the Chancellor. And of course, all of that is orchestrated by Palpatine. Because if the Jedi are spread out thin, Anakin Skywalker is easier to pick off. This will be real common throughout the Clone Wars. It always looks like the clones are victorious, and it's always the case that they're losing. It just happens over and over and over again. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> it's Wednesday. <laughs> oh, that's such a... That's such a depressing observation because it's true. It's true for the prequel films too. Like everything you yeah. think is a victory, really isn't. Daniel, I got good news. Oh no, <laughs> the binge might end with Yub Nub. 
<laughs> One can only hope. If everybody's life would just end with Yubnub, it's all worth it. That's That'll be our podcast merchandise. Keep calm and Yubnub. <laughs> <gasps> all right, so... Quick aside here, this is this is a deep dive for folks who have already seen Clone Wars and Rebels and, and are, are going back through it a, a second or third time. There is a wonderful touch for Star Wars animated fans here. Depa Bilaba and her apprentice, Caleb Doom, are shown in a hologram with Yoda. And this is a special moment for some longtime fans because we have never seen these two together on screen. And Bilaba is a Jedi master who's going to sacrifice herself to save her Padawan during Order 66. And Caleb Doom is like a 10, 12-year-old. It's literally half a second that you get to see them. But Doom is going to go into hiding, and he's going to take on the alias Kanan Jarrus, and he and his family are going to eventually become some of the seeds for the rebellion against the Empire. And that story is going to be told with the entire animated series of Rebels. Ooh. And so when we finally get to Rebels, this character who just gets highlighted for a brief moment, he is the principal character of that series. And it's just a great touch. As we were saying, you know, here are Jedi that we have seen die in episode three. So too, there's an older Jedi with a pad one and if we're in the know, we know she's going to die here in the next little bit, and she's going to do so to save this young man, and we've never seen them on screen. Oh, that's, that's okay, that's super interesting, because I did, I saw them, and, and just kind of wrote it off. I remember, yeah. I, just, I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I guess they're probably going to die soon. That was the only thing I thought. That's good to know. Anakin was too immature to be on the council, but apparently this elementary schooler... He can jump in. <laughs> Which, God, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel like throwing somebody out a window. I mean, it, yeah. Well, the opening scene. We see soldiers flying nine or ten spacecraft. They're known as headhunters, and they're being engaged by separatist tri-fighters. And there are three or four large soldier transports descending toward a bridge. And these are called gunships. And for my money, they have the coolest sound in all of Star Wars for a spaceship. Just love every time they're on screen. Yeah, real distinct. And then we see one of the headhunters shot out of the sky, and then a gunship carrying 30 or so soldiers blows up as it hits a large suspension bridge on the ground. Beautiful intro again. It's a gorgeous fight scene. Immediately, you see how badly this is going. Yeah. Like this, you know, this is, this is in the middle of a battle. Everything is getting wrecked. Yeah. It's, again, tension and anxiety. Uh, we, we might not win this one. I hadn't realized how much tension and anxiety is in the opening narration. It just translates into this scene. It's going to build once we get to the bridge, and then there's going to be a moment of release. So we should, we should earmark that because we are descending towards this bridge. This is, by the way, this is a new location. This is the planet Urbana. Every time we go to a new planet or have a new location, we'll highlight it. Urbana feels like San Francisco to me. You can see the space full house home That's it. at one shot. Yeah. But Urbana is a planet. It's in the Outer Rim, as we've been told. Outer Rim, we're going to mention this a handful of times, but that's Star Wars language for the Old West. Lawlessness. And this is the only time we have seen this planet in Star Wars so far. It's a singular appearance. Yeah. 
Following the explosion, the gunship is going to explode on the tower, and our eyes drift down to the bridge itself, and we see soldiers in white and orange moving forward. These are clone troopers fighting for the Republic, and they are clearly outmatched. And since this is the binge, this is the first time that we've seen the clone troopers, and we'll talk about them here in a second. And there seem to be a few hundred droid soldiers and large tanks and like these octopus-looking cannons on the far side of the bridge that they are seeking to attack. And all of the opposition forces are kind of neat, clean. They don't look like they're receiving much battle damage. And the clones are just getting hammered. And and with, with a lot of nothing. Yeah. And it just feels like the clones are slowly walking on their own with their with their handheld weapon to their demise against yeah. the octopus shooting robot. I'm definitely gonna die on this bridge is going through the head of every single one of these soldiers. Yeah. One of the soldiers we see who is actually in the opening narration talking to Yoda for a moment is a major character for us in the binge named Cody. And Cody says to the few dozen troops around him, and so we will know, and this is also in the narration, that this is the seventh Sky Corps. And there are explosions all over the place. There's dead clone bodies on the bridge. And then we see a large rocket fired in the distance by the Separatist troops at the center of the Corps. And we see Cody just watching this rocket ascend and it looks to be going right at him, and he's got his last few seconds to kind of say, I wonder if it was all worth it. (laughs) Felt my whole life flash before my eyes. And then stepping in from the side, a lightsaber ignites and cuts the rocket in half, and we see one Obi-Wan Kenobi step into frame. And Kenobi is both looking heroic and pretty tired and worried. (laughs) Yeah, a little exhausted. Kenobi says, Kenobi! They take position behind rubble. Well, I can see things are going splendidly on this front. Cody says, No good. We can't locate the tactical droid. He's staying out of sight. Any thoughts? Such a great introduction for Mm Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is. He he jumps into frame and chops a a missile in half. Yep. With his lightsaber, which, which we've not seen, obviously, in this series, but we've not even really seen in Star Wars. Yep. What a badass thing to do. Gives you a wonderful introduction to this kind of character. You got some samurais with some special weapons who apparently are fighting alongside what look to be very advanced military units. Yeah, you have this ancient world melding with this very modern tech-based world. Yep. It's super interesting. And it's just such a great introduction to Obi-Wan Kenobi because he shows up, does something awesome, and then has like a... Kind of a slick yep. uh, Roger Moore, James Bond, like, well, well, I can see everything's going well here. Let's, well, it's like, ooh. Sarcasm on the battlefront. I'm all about that. There is something about this character routinely relieving some of the tension for the rest of us. You're, you're knowing that everybody's going to get the crap kicked out of them, and then you're watching them start to get the crap kicked out of them. Yeah. So the tension relief of an old friend who we know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, showing up and then doing a joke just works a treat, I yep. thought. It's not very often that you have essentially superhero kind of characters in the midst of a larger military unit. That's kind of unique, Carrie, yeah? Yes. I can't think of anything that comes to mind on that front, aside from Star Wars. I guess you could argue maybe Tony Stark. 
I don't think it's a bad thing to just talk about what's obvious in Star Wars that for those of us who love it for so long, just take for granted. But the idea that you would have kind of this, these wizards in the midst of military units, I suppose Lord of the Rings can have some of that. If you have Gandalf among the writers of Rohan or that, that may mm. be an image of the, that's similar, but not very common. Yeah. Agreed. Apparently the troops are not only seeking to take this bridge, they are seeking to kill the leader. Cody asks about the tactical droid. So this is a that common idea in large-scale battles where if I decapitate the command unit, then the whole army will somehow be affected. We see this in The Matrix. Uh, we see this in Game of Thrones with the Night King. And it's part of the story in Edge of Tomorrow. But that's essentially what's going on here. It's that kind of battle. It's let's find the principal leader and that's that's our secret to success yeah cut off the head hearing the problem kenobi says anakin where are you I'm right here and anakin steps in the frame what are you doing down there in in one sentence that sets up that whole relationship how so it sets up the type of relationship that anakin and obi-wan kenobi have which if you have seen the prequel films you know yeah however if you're if you're watching this cold it just sets up the fact that when he needs this guy, he's always either not there or he's a little bit late. And you hear the the sort of exasperation in Obi-Wan's voice. Yeah. It's it's showing, not telling. You know, you could waste 10 minutes on, on a scene with their relationship. But with that sentence, it tells you everything you need to know about the relationship between Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Anakin Skywalker, who is unreliable. <laughs> He, this also shows that Kenobi sometimes has some crazy expectations because apparently Skywalker had a, a whole other battle that he was having to fight, win, and then travel to get here. Yeah, he's the impatient older brother. I mean, fun fact, the soldiers that we see descending towards the bridge at the beginning are part of the 501st. One of the pilots has that on his helmet. That's Anakin's crew. Mm -hmm. So he's already apparently had this victory and moving his forces into position to support Kenobi. But Anakin shows up, hair has been blow dried. <laughs> he doesn't look like he has any battle debris on him at all, whereas Kenobi is like covered. He is fresh as a new penny. <laughs> and he says, we are taking cover. Now get down. He dodges a laser bolt. You're not serious. There's only a thousand droids down there tops. Which sounds intimidating to me. I've seen those videos of robots being made by somebody in Silicon Valley, and you're going to put a, a gun on one of those things and send it into my city. I'm terrified. Yeah, and that'd be just one. That would be just one. I'd be terrified if it was just one of them. And now suddenly it's a thousand. I'm going, well, give them what they want then. Apparently not concerned. Kenobi says, what are you up to? Where's Captain Rex? This will be another character we will introduce later. Anakin says, We already finished our battle, so we decided to come help you with yours. Which is what Kenobi wanted the whole time. True. You're overdoing it again. Kenobi may have some double standards here. It's like, I want, <laughs> I want to be helped, but I don't want to be helped the way that you want to help me. <laughs> I would like to be helped on my terms. Sit. This whole conversation is funny to me. Like, you want to be the character who's there that could be like, Hey, I feel like we're wasting a lot of time with this conversation. If you sort of look around... 
there's people shooting at us and people are dying and they keep moving closer. So maybe you guys can have this fight yeah. when there's not as much enemy fire raining down on top of us. Don't want, you know, I know it's your thing, but time is of the essence. Post haste. Cody's still getting over the fact that he is alive from five seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Anakin has this snarky, deferential attitude and it comes out here real well. He says, Master, I no disrespect. If you want, I can hide here with you and we can let the people in the city suffer longer. Now, Anakin, you know I... We can do things my way and help them now. Smug. Some of the things that we're going to see with Anakin at the outset is Kenobi knows he's a superstar. Kenobi might not think he's very intelligent or wise at moments, (laughs) but we can do things my way and Kenobi is under a pile of rubble and he's like okay tell us superstar what you want to do just feels like a lot of unearned unnecessary arrogance where it's like can't you just show up and help your friend not rub his face (laughs) in how bad of a job he's doing just just be helpful i imagine this is one of the real tricky things with screenwriting you may know better than me you could speak to this if you don't have character flaws you don't have drama and conflict but it's also the case that you need to have your characters be lovable enough for your audience to care. And finding that middle ground, I imagine, is quite rough. Yeah, you can you can overdo it. You know, you can stack too many books on a shelf, and that bookshelf will collapse if you've put too much stuff into it. Yeah, it feels like the way they've written him, they really don't want to give you a chance to be like, hey, this guy's kind of emotional and a little bit full of himself. Well. And- in less than a week's time, he will be slicing little Scottish younglings in half. And so we got to get, he has to be down the road a little bit towards despicable. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to, to the young people listening to this. If you're a real arrogant smartass, this is where you're going to end up. So get your life together. One of the things, again, to circle back to why we're starting with this episode is I think the show creators are really intentional about doing what a normal movie would to introduce characters. Because Kenobi has that opening scene, Anakin has this opening scene, the clones seem to have an opening scene, and all three of them are introduced here on the bridge. It's how you would in in a movie. You're naming them and giving them personality. And right away, too. You're stepping into it mid-action. Yeah. So you don't have to do any, hello, my name is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ah, yes, Anakin Skywalker. Exactly. Which which just takes up so much time. I guess they have the benefit of a lot of us knowing these characters. We know who Anakin Skywalker is. We know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is, if we are Star Wars fans. But introducing these characters in the midst of being in opportunities that they can demonstrate themselves fully. Yeah. It's very wise storytelling. You learn everything you need to know about these three characters right away. Yep. Individually and their relationships with themselves in, in what, two minutes of, of dialogue? Exactly right. For somebody who's a, a common Star Wars fan, they're going to see the clones and they're going to say, well, of course, those are the stormtroopers from the original trilogy. And it's worth just pausing for a second to talk about why these aren't stormtroopers. Um, do you know the difference? What strikes you as the primary difference between clones and stormtroopers? I mean, obviously, the, cl- the clone troopers are all clones made from the DNA of one specific guy, whereas I believe the stormtroopers are just in- people who enlisted. Yeah. In the same way you would enlist to join the military. Like, they're, they're not clones. They're not sort of bioengineered soldiers. They're just people yeah 
And that's exactly right. The Imperial Army, once we get to the original trilogy, is almost entirely volunteers and sometimes slaves, I get the sense. But those stormtroopers don't necessarily care for each other. One of the things that's real interesting about the clones is they care about each other just out of identity. There's a brotherhood there. Yeah, there's this brotherhood. I just watched with Kelly, I watched uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Is Tom Hardy in it? It is the Tom Hardy one. That's Insurrection, I believe. Yeah. The idea is that Captain Picard faces his clone, and his clone is 30, 40 years younger than he is. And that dynamic of you are my enemy, I am facing you, we are having conversation, but I care about you in a different way because you and I are the same. Yeah, we share something. I think Solo does a really exceptional job in a couple of moments showing people just enlisting to be stormtroopers. Yes. There's that scene, it's like I think it's yep. the first 30 minutes of the movie where you see, yep. oh right, this is anybody. People who want to be soldiers, like you said, perhaps people who are being forced into it. Yeah. I think I think Solo does a really stellar job showing you what the the makeup of what becomes the stormtrooper armies is. You hated growing up in Detroit and you <laughs> needed to get out, so you signed that paper and got thrown on the front line. That's apt. I, I like that. That, that uh, Han Solo. A, yeah, I, I really like that. That just but for everybody in that world where it's like clearly if you are in this position. You just want to get out of it. Yeah. And you will take any opportunity, especially at that point. The the Empire and 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 the stormtroopers are only vilified because this group of people shows up and says so. Mm-hmm. To to everybody else, they're just the cops. They're just the military. Yep. And there are benefits to enlisting. Yeah. At the point that Solo enlists the Republic has turned into an empire, but you haven't seen them do damage in the way. Yeah. It's just all, yeah, it's raw desire to get away from a, a world of poverty at that point. Well, we're going to spend lots of time talking about the clones in the first few episodes of the binge, but the here's the skinny for those of you just, again, engaging this for the first time. Clones are the military force that's protecting the Republic and fighting alongside the Jedi to bring peace to the galaxy. And there are around a million of them, and they are all produced from the DNA of a single elite figure, who is Jango Fett. They are engineered to age quickly, so many of these full-grown men are actually 10 or 13 years old. And though they look the same, their personalities are very different. And by the time of New Hope... Very few of them are young enough to fight anymore by the time that we see Luke Skywalker and the rest. So, Which, can I say, that is a spinoff I would really like to watch. Just a, a, reti- just a retirement home oh, full of, of clones. I'll tell you what, the thing that nobody knows yet, or at least if you're listening to this in 2021, you don't know it yet, is they're going to do stuff with the clones and Kenobi. <sighs> the story they haven't told yet is Kenobi and Cody. Mm. This character just here, Obi-Wan Kenobi jumped in front of a man and sliced a missile in half to save his life. When we get to episode three, Cody is going to open fire on that same Jedi and then begin to hunt him down because that's his programming. And there's no reason to think that programming has gone away. Oh my God. And how the clones wrestle. Post Order 66 is important. We're going to see a key to how that might work in this arc. 
But there's no reason to think that the clones aren't hunting the remaining Jedi, which would include Kenobi. Which just has such an interesting fugitive yes. uh, <laughs> type of a feel to it. Which is great, because Harrison Ford is in that, too. <laughs> is that what Kenobi is going to say to Cody? I didn't kill my wife! I didn't kill my wife! Yeah. I don't care! <laughs> <laughs> One quick note on Cody, then, here. Cody is the second-in-command. He's the marshal commander of Sky Corps. Sky Corps is overseen by General Kenobi, and it has about 36,000 troops. And, of course, everybody knows Obi-Wan Kenobi, but we should probably introduce him in terms of the Clone Wars. You've been familiar with Obi-Wan Kenobi, but have gotten a taste of what this character is like in the animated series. Anything we're saying there? Yeah, he's, in my opinion, he's such a contradictory character. Yeah. Contradictory to the principles that he claims to live. Contradictory to the, to the principles that Jedi seem to build their lives around. But it, but in a way that feels very good, you know what I mean. It's not yes. It's not like watching a character contradict themselves and then you know, oh, now we're watching this person stumble down this destructive path. I feel like Obi Wan Kenobi is is such a contradictory character in a way that sends him down the road of sort of becoming a human being. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, and he even in this episode and 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 to a larger degree this arc, there's a couple of moments where he brings up the notion that oh well, as, you know, Je- Jedi don't let emotion cloud our judgment. It's like, dude, yep. again and as always, that is not accurate to the way that character goes about living his life. Yeah, I feel like Obi Wan Kenobi's judgment is always just a little clouded. We'll see some real tension in a scene coming up here. In this episode, but in but but and again in a way that in a way that really humanizes him and makes him, you know, makes him a character that people have liked since yeah. the '70s, a character yeah. that I've liked since I was six or however old I was when I first saw Star Wars. Like he is, yep. he is an endearing character in his clouded judgment and his contradictory behavior. It's again a tale that is not often told is what's the backstory of the wise old man because obviously that's how we're introduced to obi-wan kenobi because i also feel like the obi-wan kenobi we get in a new hope is shaped and affected by everything he's seen and done so so when you look at the way he is instructing luke to be a jedi it's so different than the way yoda is teaching luke to be a jedi like it's no, and Yoda feels very connected to this old world of like you can't have this, you must silence this. Where it, whereas yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi is really saying like, dig into your feelings, dig into your instincts. That's also part of what this is. Not put all this aside. It, it, it's sort of in a, in a way that I think all well done wise old man tropes can do. They're able to say the this is the training that I received. Here are the things that worked really well, and it's okay to sort of let the traditions that don't work die off. Yeah. I get the sense watching New Hope for the first time that this is a teacher who cares about Luke and wants his best and wants to release him into the best possible world. And after watching the entire canon, I think that Obi-Wan is radicalizing a young man because he wants to win. And those are two very different motives. Yeah. You could also make the argument that everything Obi-Wan Kenobi does with Luke, because he knows who Luke is and where he's from. Yep. 
it feels like Obi-Wan Kenobi might be caring so much and trying so hard to do the right thing by Luke because he knows he didn't do the right thing by his dad. Yeah. And then there's that extra level because there's clearly care for his opponent. And I say wanting to win, but he's a soldier. He is a general who fights to win for the sake of the republic and structure that he believes in as a religious creed. And that has to be read into everything that we see in New Hope Empire and, and, and in Return of the Jedi. The Empire is already won. You were our last hope. That is about winning. It's as much about winning as it is accepting defeat, I guess. Ooh. Right? I mean, yeah. that, that feels like what you're saying. It's again one of those things that we'll we'll really I, we may spend a whole episode just talking about the last image of uh, Anakin Kenobi and Yoda in Return of the Jedi because there's so much in that in terms mm-hmm. of okay well how are we gonna interpret all this and there's like three different versions of it to talk about depending <laughs> on what you're watching it's true do you have um, the silver or gold uh, VHS box. <laughs> Anakin, when he steps forward in this scene, I'm trying to think of another scene that would compete. This may be the most powerful he is ever seen is when he is on this bridge, just easily ducking laser bolts, and he's going to take down apparently thousands of droids with a yawn. Are we saying most powerful of him just as Anakin, not like the other version of himself? Yeah, aside from having, you know, an empire to control, as a warrior, him individually as a warrior, I think this Anakin beats all other Anakins, as it were. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so you don't count Darth Vader then? Yeah, no, I, th- Vader. I mean, I think if this Anakin fights Darth Vader, I think this Anakin wins. Yeah, but think about the Vader you see at the end of Rogue One, though. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a moment where I feel like, and I, I think feel like they might be that might be the evenly. only competing one. I know that some folks will say that uh, when he gets amputated, he loses some of his force power. But I, I would be it. That Vader has anger, and you know, there's there's lots of fun stuff going on in terms of Vader's inner life that gives him power. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it at some point. Uh, yeah, whoever would make that argument, I would argue, is probably wrong because yeah. the the force does not seem to be limited. Mm. If all living things have it and are connected with it, some of those things haven't got hands in the traditional. Si- That's wrong. I disagree with that. Yeah, on the table for discussion is whether or not this is the most powerful Anakin we'll ever see. I- I'll concede that. Yeah, I think you're right. So. There, at least it's 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 certainly discussable. And on that same front, this may be one of those high points for any Force user in terms of when he unleashes. And obviously, he has an army behind him as well, which gives him a little bit more confidence. But any anything worth saying that's not entirely cynical? Well, yeah. Uh, about <laughs> Anakin Skywalker as we're as we're jumping into the binge. Look, I'll leave right now. That's most <laughs> of what I bring to the table. Amidst all the faults and amidst all the flaws, he he is clearly a a, a soldier. He's clearly a general, and he clearly yeah. knows how to fight, and he's very smart. Him stepping out onto the bridge is incredibly brave. It's that sort of Indiana Jones, a leap from the lion's head. We're like, you don't technically know what's going to happen when you mm. step out there. And I think only a very skilled Jedi and soldier would do that. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's it's impetuous and stupid, but it's very it's very brave because it is, he is stepping out there for his friends. 
while it is reckless, I think it is to be commended. The metaphor I know that you and I use or have used in the past is that Anakin is a character who seems to me to be like a exceedingly talented college athlete who has achieved everything he thinks is worth achieving and now is deserving of all the things that go alongside that. And he is immature and he's immensely skilled. And there's another wrinkle there that he is deeply loyal. And that's where, that's the reason, I think we'll, we'll probably come back to this frequently, is this is why you want him to be redeemed in the end, is because of how much love he had for his mom, for Ahsoka, for Kenobi, for Padme, for the future he could have had had he not made bad decisions which we see in his conversations with his son as 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 we get into yeah. the to the original films when when Luke tells him there is good in you I have felt it I think to be that loyal and loving ah god I really don't think that stuff you can you can, you can't kill that I really don't think you can you and I were talking about this just this week this was a Star Wars epiphany I hadn't had before but you said you had seen this in the past yes. but at the end of Return of the Jedi the emperor is trying to get Luke to strike him down. Good. I can feel your anger. I am defenseless. Take your weapon. Strike me down with all of your hatred, and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. And I'm always thinking that this is just the Emperor baiting him. I think it's actually, and maybe it is the case, that the Emperor wants Luke to strike him down so that he'll get in a fight with Vader. But Vader's motive in that moment is what I hadn't thought of. You can read it as though Vader brings his lightsaber to block Luke's because he's protecting the Emperor. Or you can read it as Anakin is actually emerging in that moment and he is protecting his son from going towards the dark side. Yeah, and that was my argument, and that's how I've always... Never saw it in that light. That's how I've always interpreted that scene. And it's uh, it, it makes that scene so much richer. And it almost feels like the first time that happens when when they're when they're in the throne when they're in the throne room, Vader doing that almost feels instinctual. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. really think about it. But he does it. Like it like it's it's sort of a something sure. within him stirs him to do that. And then it's not until the very end of that battle when, when Luke is just getting the crap kicked out of him by the Emperor, where, where you really see Vader watching back and forth and kind of looking at the Emperor and looking at Luke yep. and then making that choice to, to really protect his son. I, yep. think, I think that becomes the intentional version of that choice. Yeah. That's how I've always chosen to interpret that scene, and it gives it a tremendous amount of meaning to me. I don't think it's a stretch to think that we're going to probably spend a whole podcast just on that, that <laughs> lightsaber battle. Hmm, maybe. Coming in 2024. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we might all still be in our homes by then, so we'll have time. <laughs> I might be able to meet you at a coffee shop for that one. Hey, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> the one other thing about Anakin that I think gives you some sympathy is he doesn't have a reliable adult to lead him and the loss of Qui-Gon ends up hanging over a lot of the prequel era in the what could have been side of things yeah well all of this is on display as he moves to the middle of the bridge the confidence the insecurity the loyalty the the brashness 
and we see him stepping out from behind that battle debris and there are a pair of frontline separatist battle droids and they say to each other one target approaching because he keeps moving. <laughs> and Anakin in the in the binoculars is looking dark and approaching the Separatist line. And the battle droid commander says to the entire army, Cease fire. All batteries take aim at the Jedi. So hundreds of cannons and blasters turn and take aim at Skywalker. Uh, thoughts on any of this? <laughs> I, I will say this again. Trust me. The battle droid characters routinely make me laugh so hard. Yeah. This is good. This is good battle droid humor. They're, they're so inept and yet able to do so much damage. The thing that hit me watching this the first time and it leaped in my heart is that this is a rhyme. It's a rhyme with Last Jedi. And this is the first time that we're getting a chance to talk about rhymes as well. But we're going to talk about rhymes quite a bit in this podcast. One of the things that George Lucas says is that running throughout the canon are these callbacks and scenes and dialogue that reflect other moments in Star Wars. Uh, Lucas said, You see the echo of where it all's going to go. Again, it's like poetry, so sort if of, they rhyme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. Hopefully it'll work. Here's an easy one. Luke and Anakin are both young pilots from a desert world. Their family is murdered, and they're adopted by a father figure who is eventually killed and affects their trajectory. They're tempted to the dark side through their desire to save their loved ones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Lucas does this visually all over the place. Here, this is a direct callback to stuff that had just been shot in The Last Jedi. You have two Skywalkers walking out in front, the, the lone warrior, and the opposition force says, I want every gun we have to fire on that man. And of course, in Last Jedi, it's unleashed on Luke. On Luke. And he brushes it off. Anakin just says, hold your fire, and we're going to go a different direction. Yeah, they complement each other. And, and this is how rhymes work. They're there, and then they move a different direction. Our first kind of real introduction to, to Anakin in this is him being seen through the through the binoculars, and he's sort of a dark, imposing figure that you don't fully get a glimpse mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. That's also how the fourth episode ends with him oh, being good. reflected in the, yep. the the helmet as Darth Vader. Yep. You're, you're seeing what is reflected that people see of, of him, and and it's it's the beginning and and the end is the same guy but different. Yeah, I think that's exactly right because that's what I see in that binocular shot. That's not Anakin Skywalker. That's Darth Vader walking at you. And that happens a handful of times in the Clone Wars in phenomenal ways. When they when they bring Vader into other places, it's not full Vader, but it's definitely there. You know, it's Batman Begins kind of stuff. It's like the Batman is there, but he hasn't put on the cowl yet. When he steps onto the bridge, it's sort of like the final shedding of who Anakin Skywalker is. He he walks in as Anakin Skywalker, and he leaves in that final episode mm -hmm. as Darth Vader. Well, the canons are focused on Anakin, and unlike Luke, there's a different kind of exchange between Anakin and the opposing forces. He says, hold your fire. I've come to surrender. And the droids, again, real funny. I have come to surrender. Surrender? That's a relief. Notify the tactical droid. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. Like they're just, so, they're so shocked and surprised. Like, wait, what? Oh, oh, thank God. This is the part where my friend normally gets cut in half. Yeah, we were about to get wrecked. 
Notify the tactical droid. Anakin begins monologuing. That's a good villain thing to do. To the underside of the bridge. It's brilliant stalling. It's brilliant stalling. (laughs) I I thought it was super entertaining. Oh, yeah. We didn't mention this, but everything has been anxiety up till this moment. And then, like, the tension is relieved. In a big way. And then you see R2-D2's periscope come up. (laughs) There's some energy there. And just another one of those. And again, for, for me watching this kind of for the first time along with everybody else... If you're, if you're jumping into it the way we're suggesting you do in an episode that has old friends in the title, that's just another moment where you go, I recognize him. Yeah. I like him. There are times where the R2-D2 fan service, they go too far. I was going to say, not this one. This one is not one of those times. This is one where they are using this character perfectly. And you're seeing him do things he's never done before, like yeah. scale up a wall and like around and under a bridge. Like, well, I didn't know he could do that. So good. A set of clones, uh, literally dozens of clones, are apparently underneath the bridge hanging out, clinging to pipes. And one of them says to R2-D2, R2, how much longer are we stuck down here? Great. I'll tell the boys. All right, man. Hang in there a little longer. To which a clown Uh, (laughs) hanging under the bridge says, uh, Yes, sir. (laughs) Which is a phrase we will hear throughout the Clone Wars, but is just hilarious in this moment. Just like, we're the grunts doing what we're told. Mm -hmm. Three more central characters introduced into the binge right here. And the first, of course, needs no introduction because R2-D2 is arguably one of the most famous personalities on the planet. R2-D2 is included in the Smithsonian exhibit outlining 101 objects that made America. Yeah. Commonly tops those lists that say who is the number one or the greatest robot of all time. Though, of course, R2-D2 is not a robot. I say he's a droid. He is a droid. Just for my philosopher's soul, I have to say, droid means he has a... Soul experiences pain and can exhibit courage, joy, and wonder. Whereas those machines that you see on YouTube that terrify you, none of them have a heart. By that metric, what is the difference between a droid and an android in the case of a character like Data in Star Trek? Fictionally, I think that the world that something like Star Trek builds is that Data does not experience emotions, but experiences reason and self-awareness and that's what makes that character interesting it's the hyper version of reason it's what spock Mm. is supposed to be yeah in in some scenes that i don't have an ego to bruise kind of (laughs) personality and that makes for fantastic storytelling because somebody's divorced from all emotive qualities totally But R2 feels emotion, yeah. Oh, yeah. R2 feels fear. He feels happiness. Jealousy. Jealousy. (laughs) Anger. I think those are my notes, too, that that R2-D2 is, I think, the most genuine and honest character in the entire Star Wars universe. Yeah. There is never a moment where R2-D2 hides what he thinks, who he likes, who he does not like, what he wants to do, what he does not think they should do. He He is just honest and even though you can't understand him you can always understand him 
It's 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 a it's such a good character. Yeah. There is never a question about the tone and attitude behind it in in the communication and even the physicality in the puppeting of 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 that droid. You know when he's angry, you know when he's happy, you know when he's jealous, you know when he's sad. Yeah. There's never a moment where that character is not transparent and 100% genuine, maybe more than any other Star Wars character. I I had not thought about this, but the body language of this droid is real difficult to pull off, and they consistently nail it. I know I've seen like interviews with Kenny Baker talking about how he would shake inside of the um, the machine in order to exhibit character. They couldn't find anyone that would fit inside this robot to make it move. And they couldn't use kids because it was quite a heavy machine, you know, that was weighed about 80 pounds. Well, I've had a lot of experience of inside costumes and inside cats and dogs and, and goodness knows what else, you know. So when I got into the robot, you know, he said, look happy. So I'd go inside. I mean, nobody could see the, my expressions, obviously. But it, it just, you have to do something to, to get the feel of the thing. And you can tell. Yeah. Like with like with Yoda or or to go slightly out of universe with any of the Muppets, any of these characters, the physicality of the thing you see on screen does not exist without the heart of the human being puppeteering it. And I think yeah. you can you can you can feel that Kenny Baker is inside of that trash can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because if it's just a trash can, if it's not, and some of the some of the yeah. ones where he is, a, where R two is a remote controlled object, he's still R two, and you still love him, but it doesn't have some of that heart and humanity that I think you can only get with a combination of a quote puppet and human being. One of my favorite truths about R two D two is that R two in the first movie in New Hope is a MacGuffin. A MacGuffin is a idea that comes out of Hitchcock thank you <laughs> a MacGuffin is the object of the villain's desire and so the Maltese Falcon is a MacGuffin the most famous recently is the Infinity Stones in the Marvel Universe Ooh, yeah. the, the Infinity Stones are the pursuit of Thanos what's interesting about R2-D2 is that R2-D2 has a personality and seldom had anyone thought to put a personality with the MacGuffin. And so the villain is pursuing a character. It's not just an object. It's not just, you know, the suitcase with uh, in Pulp Fiction with... Oh, I was going to say the Marcellus Wallace's soul. Check out the big brain on bread. Here, R2-D2 has a personality and we care about them. And so as they are going through the universe, we actually feel some anxiety. You will notice that the Star Wars repeats this in, in The Mandalorian. Yes. Because Grogu's likewise a MacGuffin. He has something inside of him, just like R2-D2 does, and Grogu has something inside of him that, the, that all these former Imperial officers want. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Are they former? What would they be? Like the ravaged? Are you former Nazi if you're in Argentina? I would imagine in their mind they're still empire. Yeah. Maybe you're not active, but you're active. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you're in that clan for forever. There's, I don't yeah. think there's an exit that you get to purchase. <laughs> it's the holdouts. 
true believers. Yes, I'm only basing that theory on the uh, the philosophical outlook of uh, uh, Lieutenant Aldo Rain from Inglorious Bastards. Like right? you don't get to leave. Like that's that's that's. I guess that's what my research has been. <laughs> Pursuing this character that we care about, though. So yeah, when Grogu gets grabbed, it's not just that the MacGuffin has been taken. It's not just now they have the green Infinity Stone. It's now they have this character that we care about. And R2-D2 in film history is the first time that that occurs. That's crazy. I've never... Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything comparable. Nope. In The Clone Wars, R2-D2 takes on a different kind of character. He is a battle-tested spy that is routinely elevating the work of those he serves. Like so much else that is in the Clone Wars, it's going to just give a lot of extra depth and personality to all the things that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. R2-D2 isn't a young character in New Hope. This is a wise, aged, experienced character who is still on the front lines battling. Yeah. In this scene... He's kind of leading the under the bridge assault. They're asking him when they can go over the thing. You know, like, <laughs> right. he, he's the here comes the general, and it's R two D two. The character that is asking whether or not it's go time is Captain Rex underneath the bridge. Rex is going to be a very popular character. We're going to spend a ton of time talking shop about Rex. We'll do the deep dive on Rex here in uh, our third episode. But anything we're saying. Before uh, we unleash the troops? No, I think I think saving it might be a good idea. Bang. The other clones there underneath the bridge, you'll notice they're all blue. This is the 501st. Again, this is another crew that we're going to spend a lot of time on. Uh, this is Anakin's division. Anakin oversees the 501st. There are about 4,000 soldiers. This is an elite division. It would be comparable to something like what? Like the Green Berets or something like that, maybe like a oh, there you go, tactical elite team. Perfect. Only the best of the best get to be in this crew. It's overseen by Anakin. Anakin's second in command is Ahsoka Tano, and then the captain that oversees the 501st is Rex. Any quick thoughts on on these folks? We're going to spend a lot of time on them in this arc. Yeah, I'm just, as I'm doing the binge along with our listeners, I'm I'm excited to see more of more of a group that I have heard a lot about. Yeah. Just from having friends that are really hardcore Star Wars fans, and I've heard the name 501st for years, mm -hmm. but only had kind of a tangential understanding of what it was. So I'm really excited to kind of get to see what has captured people's imagination. That's a good way to put it. Right now, they just are all clone troopers that have very similar armor. But we're going to start to introduce specific characters with specific personalities and how they are wrestling with all of the issues of war and failure and success that we're going to see. And this is just uh, this is one of those windows into the galaxy. Yeah. All right. So we're at the bridge. We realize here that there is a hidden attack force that's under this bridge and we see Anakin wrapping up his surrender monologue and then we see the tactical droid that Cody had mentioned steps up onto the platform and he says to his droid commander hey why have you ceased fire Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker has surrendered to us commander we have felt anxious and we focus in on Anakin's face and Anakin says there he is 
And right here, it's as though a button is pressed. that tension is unleashed in this moment yeah oh absolutely we talked about kind of things rhyming in star wars or sort of sort of falling back on each other and it almost feels like when luke skywalker steps out onto the plank uh, in return of the jedi yes and and kind of gives that knowing and r2 is involved too gives that knowing look to r2d2 and he launches the lightsaber and he and luke leaps in the air grabs it and then does the thing like this is that it looks like our hero is about to meet his demise and he's walking into it and then suddenly yes they've planned something and again i mean it's just a skywalker thing because you know like father like son and 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 r2d2 was there and crucial yeah uh, in both of those fake outs that's a great call i think that's exactly it because you'll note the music in both of these scenes is a full demonstration of the Force thing when Luke's green lightsaber is launched and when uh, the 501st unveils itself. It's just the full Force theme comes out. Because what is going to happen is Anakin's going to say, there he is, and he suddenly grabs hold of the tactical droid 400 yards away (laughs) and launches that man right at him like a projectile and just decapitates him the power of anakin here is nearing its crest right i i don't feel like we've ever seen the force used this way before we've we've seen it used to catch things catch people move things and repel things but i don't believe that we've ever seen somebody use it to draw somebody to them right in this way yeah i think is correct there's a scene in arc troopers which you and i have already recorded that episode where a sith does this but not from 100 yards away it's right it's like very close in battle but it's it's impressive the force theme is unleashed anakin pulls the droid decapitates him and suddenly you know all of those hundreds of clones that are underneath the bridge ignite what appear to be Mandalorian-style jetpacks, and they fly out over the opposing army, and they're bombarding the Separatists with thermal detonators, and there is just an overwhelming advance. And we look back on the bridge, and there's Kenobi and Cody. And again, Cody looks like an adult, but he's really a (laughs) 13-year-old. And he is seeing his pals wreak havoc and just, you know, giddy. And Kenobi simply looks over and says, General. Yes, Cody. You may join the fun as well. <laughs> Cody says, Yes, sir. Blast out! Oh, and so Cody, who was in this place of counting the minutes left in his life, is suddenly in a position where he gets to participate in a rout. Who doesn't want to be part of a rout? Yeah. It's, it's that, like, put-me-in-the-game-coach mentality. <laughs> I like that Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of able to recognize that. You know, I like, yes. that, that, I like that there's kind of that allowance for joy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's exactly it. Understands the heart of his partner. Absolutely. Again, a reason to think that they're going to bring that character back. Yeah. Kenobi then strolls across the bridge. <laughs> Quite proper. <laughs> Very British. Even in battle scenes, he is conducting himself as though he were having tea at Buckingham. Yes. Yeah. There's all the, um, he's been taught how to walk, talk, sit, and stand. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
That, that would be an interesting backstory. Who is teaching Kenobi to be so proper? It's, yeah. It's not oh. Qui-Gon. It's, no. You know what? Once we see Kenobi's love interest, that may that may give us a clue. I was going to say, or it's, if anybody's ever wanted to see Olivia Coleman join the Star Wars universe, <laughs> this is how it happens. She is the proper British woman who who sort of... Wax Obi Wan Kenobi on the hand with a with a with a meter stick, teaching him how to like drink the blue milk properly out of in the right saucer. I'd watch this. Kenobi strolls up. Bravo, Anakin! You've done it again. Oh, I can't take all the credit. Your state of helplessness really sold him on my surrender talk. Always glad to help, my friend. <laughs> Kenobi doesn't miss a beat. You mentioned this earlier in terms of just. Utility of language. Those three lines tell you everything you need to know about the friendship of these men. And and it works. I know there will there have been and there will be moments where, where I dislike the way Anakin Skywalker talks to Obi-Wan Kenobi and it feels it feels flippant and unnecessary and disrespectful at times. This is a moment when it's just perfect. That's right. It's it's just a really it's a believable, funny friendship moment. Especially after a, a win. Yes. Yeah, we, we've already won. <laughs> I can make fun of you. Skywalker's communicator beings, he says. Skywalker here. What is it, Admiral? Sir, we've received a transmission. And Yularen, who is overseeing the Jedi cruiser above the planet, who we're going to speak a lot about. This is kind of a character who, who ends up directing a lot of the action. What is he? He's a uh, exposition device, commonly, mm. in, in uh, the Clone Wars. But Yularen is moving the action, and he says, Sir, we've received a transmission from someone using our subspace frequency, Fulcrum. And this is a tease for, for those of us who have loved animated Star Wars. Fulcrum is a real interesting idea. Fulcrum is eventually going to become the call name for all rebel informants who oppose the Empire. So imagine a single spy named Fulcrum, but then you have 20 of them. And you name them all Fulcrum. We've heard from Fulcrum. We've heard from Fulcrum. So it's it's this idea that Fulcrum is never caught because somebody is always Fulcrum yeah. out there in the uh, Imperial ranks gaining information and, and giving it to the Rebel Alliance. It's almost in, this, in the same way that Tony Stark's AI is called Jarvis, named after the human being Jarvis who worked mm-hmm. with his father that you see in the Peggy Carter stories. Like Jarvis yeah. is named after a real guy that's gone on to inform this much larger network of things. There you go. Yeah, if every suit had a different Jarvis, it'd be something like that maybe. Yeah. Because one of the first characters uh, who becomes Fulcrum, uh, we're going to meet here in t- in a minute. Anakin thinks that it's Sarkamera. And Kenobi pushes into this and says, Perhaps the siege at Onderon has taken a turn for the worse. Saul Guerrero will know from Rogue One. He's the uh, mechanical rebel in Rogue One. He's played by Forrest Whitaker. Interesting character there. I mean, we'll get to him eventually, but the character who is the terrorist who is on your side... That's a, that's a that's an interesting character. I I don't I don't know that I can name somebody off the top of my head who is like we're cheering for this person. They but they conduct their business through terrorist tactics, planting bombs. Yeah, in, in ways unlike either our heroes or our villains 
fight. Yeah. You know, he, he's not necessarily a soldier. I mean, he is in the sense that he is participating in battles. But yeah, he's he's not marching in formation. He's not training with Jedi. He's he's yeah, he's um it's all guerrilla tactics. There's a Robin Hood-esque Ooh. feel to, to, to that sort of hi- yeah. hiding, waiting for people to come to you and then attacking them. Yeah. I don't think you're ever supposed to like this character. You may respect this character, but he'll he'll appear a couple times both in Clone Wars and in Rebels, and then we obviously we see his death in Rogue One. It's never the case that I'm like, this is a, a praiseworthy person um, that I would trust. It's more he is somebody we're in common cause with, He's he's necessary. Yeah. You appreciate the necessity, but yeah, it's not the guy you probably want to be paired up with. Like, you two go over there. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> Yularen says... No, sir, it's not Guerrero. You would best take this transmission here on the ship. Both of you. Showing that this is important and that Yularen knows it's important. And so we cut to outer space, and Kenobi and Anakin are entering, you know, one of those Star Destroyer-looking ships, and uh, they're on a gunship. Anakin enters Yolaren's space, and he says, All right, Admiral. What's so important you brought us all the way back here? And we see a hologram. Hello, Master. It's been a while. Uh, Ahsoka? Wow. I don't believe it. How are you? Where are you? Are are you okay? I'm all right. Thank you. I wish we had more time to talk, but I have urgent information for both of you. Getting the business? What is it, Ahsoka? Lady Bo-Katan and I have located the renegade Sith Lord Maul, and if we move swiftly, we believe we can capture him. Three big introductions again here for us, and again done with just great utility of language yeah fast i'm gonna just start at the end and work our way through but the first is bokatan her name as lady bokatan is used so you know she's royalty we're, we're going to speak about her next time but you've been introduced to this character yeah i have yes but sort of i've sort of backed into knowing who this character is from watching the mandalorian is is the first time i got to meet her so the first time i'm meeting bokatan it's a yep live action character but in, a, in, in one of the few times I feel like this has happened, I guess maybe Saw Guerrero is the other one. The person playing the live action version is the same person who did the voice of the of the animated character, and it's yeah. Katie Sackhoff as as Bo Katan, which is if 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 Lady Bo Katan is royalty, it it's kind of a really cool thing because Katie Sackhoff is almost science fiction royalty because she was Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica and all of these classic things, but even continuing into now with her coming back to the Mandalorian or even uh, the show itself is not very good, but she had a great arc of a uh, character in The Flash. Yeah. She was really excellent. So she's just really great badass actress with this history of playing these amazing badass yeah. female warrior characters. There's going to be tremendous backstory, obviously, in, in Clone Wars. It's in her character, especially if we've seen Mandalorian and are now engaging the animated stuff prior to the original trilogy. It should feel like a lot of the characters we know. We're doing the same thing with Kenobi. We know Kenobi's later life was his early life look like. We know Bo-Katan's later life was her early life look like. Yeah. She she has a wonderful set of arcs and motives, and there's real movement for this character. Yeah. And, and this is why people were losing their minds when she got brought into uh, Mandalorian. 
and rightfully so. I, f- I feel like there's a few moments in Mandalorian, and there's several moments in this episode, but I guess largely this arc of four episodes where I feel like this is a character that is very impetuous and emotional in in ways that, you know, we, we spend time with Jedi telling you don't be emotional and reactive yet this character feels exclusively emotional and reactive but done in a way that's almost the almost antithetical to Anakin Skywalker mm. where where she is she is all these things in a skillful useful way yeah. like she is a mature soldier who has figured out how to channel impulse and 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 sort of reactionary emotion into tactical results and it's really cool to see yeah Yeah, she is a warrior with an agenda, for sure, everywhere she goes. Yeah. Second big character that's introduced here we don't see, but is referenced, and that's Maul. If we've seen episode one, we know that Maul was cut in half by (laughs) Kenobi. At that point in time, he was known as Darth Maul. This may be real subtle, but she refers to him as Sith Lord Maul. And just as, this will be a spoiler we talk about consistently, that just as Ahsoka Tano has left the Jedi Order... Darth Maul has left the Sith Order, and he is now Maul, and he ends up having a different kind of story, which we're, which is going to be unpacked over time. We're going to save our deep dive on Maul for next time, but any quick thoughts? Only that I'm very excited to see where this character goes, because he is dealt with so... I'm gonna I'm gonna say ridiculously in yeah. in the Phantom Menace like he is he is the scariest looking thing I remember seeing that character for the first time on the cover of a book when the Phantom Menace came out and thinking that is one of the scariest looking dudes I've ever seen in in the Star Wars universe and maybe in general and then you only get him in a few blink and you'll miss it scenes in most of the Phantom Menace and then when you finally you get this awesome lightsaber duel with him and then he's gone so quickly yep to kind of get to see that character do some of the things you hoped he would do is exciting. Yeah. I suppose if we've seen Solo, we know that he's out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because he appears in the post credits. Right. Him and him and Paul Bettany. Right. Yeah. But Maul is, is being associated with the gangster underworld and that's going to come out in this arc as well. Dryden Voss is that character's name. We will see Dryden Voss in a hologram in this arc. Yeah, a little, little peppering. I, that, that's another thing that's so great about just this show, but also the Star Wars universe. When it's done well, there's just in the same way that cooking is 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 so great. When when you can just throw in a little little spice, a little extra something, where you're like, oh, is that uh, what what is that hint of that faint hint of whatever? Like, it, and I feel like the Clone Wars does that so well. Yeah. The other character here is my favorite character in all of Star Wars, and that is one Ahsoka Tano. If you are new to the Clone Wars, this will be a character introduction, and we're going to save our deep dive into Ahsoka. But for now, all we need to know, if we are new to the Clone Wars, is actually what the show creators show us. This is Anakin's former Padawan, and she looks strong, and she looks confident, and she has been hunting a Sith Lord, and she is paired with Mandalorian royalty, and apparently she and Anakin have been estranged for some time. That's just a great... I want to know about this character. And you get it so quickly, and that's what's so great about it. Like there's, they, they don't spend a lot of time digging into the estrangement. You just know that it happens. Yep. I think one of the things that I find really interesting about getting introduced to her this way is that 
every time we see Anakin, he's sort of a smug, sarcastic, very little respect for other people, even other people that he likes. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this one, the minute he sees who is on the other end of that hologram call, there is there is almost a complete drop of the unnecessary bravado of the invented version of Anakin Skywalker and just sort of a reverence for who she is that I don't feel like we see him treat other people with the same kind of awe and respect. I think that's what they are going for. It's awe. One important note here is that Anakin and Ahsoka are not lovers. They are much closer to being brother and sister. And he has this younger sister who he clearly has missed and has been worried about and is loyal to, but she's still standoffish. Her language towards Anakin is still going to be very much a, I don't quite trust you yet. I think to a degree, there's a there's a feeling of your younger sibling, the, the person who you are responsible for teaching in a lot of ways is better than you are. Mm -hmm. Even though she might not have the title, she might not have the rank, there is just an understanding that this person who technically you are above can outdo you in just about every way. Yeah. That matters. This is part of growth and development, isn't it? It's that eventually, if you're a good teacher, your students will become your equals. If you're a good parent, eventually your children will become much closer to friends than to dependents. I assume. I'm neither a teacher nor a parent, but that sounds good. <laughs> that is what's happened. And we'll see this in a minute, because just as we're gonna, we saw Anakin at the top of his game, just you wait <laughs> for what we see with this character. Well, and, and again, interestingly for me, and I won't go too much into this because I know we're going to really get into depth with her later. My first real introduction, I knew who she was and I'd seen clips and bits and pieces of Clone Wars. So I, I know who Ahsoka is and I know she's awesome and, and, and how much people love her. But the first time I really saw her was in Mandalorian as well in just oh, one sure. episode. And, and she, yeah, and talk about that. Even not knowing a ton of the backstory, seeing her in Mandalorian, the way she looks, the way she carries herself, the sort of the sort of way they shoot her even, everything goes into saying this is a very important, this is a very strong, this is a very wise character who is to be revered. And then you get to see her kick some ass. Yeah. And and it is amazing. Yeah. And you go, this this character clearly is so important. So then again, much like with Bo Katan, to go back to it with this and say, Well, I already know she can do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing the other what 22 letters of the alphabet you know th that she can do as well boom well we then see anakin processing with obi-wan because they are going to receive bo-katan and ahsoka onto the jedi cruiser anakin says it all makes sense now what if ahsoka hadn't left the order then she wouldn't have been where she needed to be that's one way to look at it i suppose it's the only way to look at it we're going to capture Maul. Finally. I thought you would be more excited about this. I am cautiously optimistic. <laughs> What's going on here? This is kind of a strange scene to me as I re-look at this again. I I think they're trying to show things, not tell you anything. I think they're trying to show you something here. Perhaps. Uh, watching this scene is really interesting because if you remember episode one... Anakin only briefly sees Darth Maul. Oh my God, sir, wait, I'm tired. 
And it can drop. Sees him fly over the top of him. Yep. So he doesn't see most of the interactions with Darth Maul that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have. So I think he probably has just heard the stories and knows who he is and what he's done. So there's the excitement of like the enemy of my friend and teacher is still who 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 killed somebody who's important to my friend and teacher is still out there and we finally get to you know, we're kicking ass right now, so now we get to we get to defeat this really bad guy. Mm-hmm. And and I almost wonder if there's a trepidation with, with Obi Wan Kenobi because he's had considerable losses at this guy's hand, thought he killed him and he's still alive. So so I wonder if there's like a this is not gonna be as easy as you think. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything on this one, but for those of us who are familiar with where the Clone Wars goes, Kenobi is shutting down his emotions here. Just with Qui-Gon, we would know that. But there's going to be some other, we'll get to them eventually, there's going to be some other overlap between Maul and Kenobi. And we see it with the very last line of this episode. Maul is hunting Kenobi. There is something here where Anakin's like, man, I thought you'd be excited that we're finally going to get this adversary of yours who took your teacher. Noting Kenobi's indifference almost here, as though he is pushing as far as he could away from that, uh, you know, I'm optimistic. Yeah, it's it's cautiously. It's an emotional person doing a very bad job covering their it, it's like when you have yeah. a crush on somebody in high school and it's like, hey, I saw you talking to so and so, you think she's pretty whatever, and your response is like, Yeah, I guess she's cool. Yeah. <laughs> on the Anakin side, Anakin doesn't know what to think here. His mind is racing a thousand miles an hour in twenty different directions. And he's trying to make sense of everything that has happened up until this moment. He doesn't know how to think about the fact that this person that was so important to him has come back into his life. I would imagine there is a security to be found in thinking that way, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, the universe isn't random. Like, all of this was meant to happen. I'm okay now. I think that's right. So we see a spacecraft landing on a bay, and a Sokotona walks out. She walks down a ramp. No one to meet her but the two Jedi and R2-D2, who comes out to her with deep affection. And because we love R2 and because R2 loves this person, even, even if we don't know Ahsoka yet, we trust R2. So this person is somebody we're going to welcome. We've seen two characters that have a lot of weight behind who those characters are now show her deference. And it's Anakin Skywalker and R2-D2. Like, Anakin Skywalker, who doesn't respect anybody, and R2-D2, who knows everybody and has been part of everything and is very clear to demonstrate when he doesn't like somebody. So you have these two moments with these two very important characters kind of bowing down to this this one character who we don't know as yep. well, which again just tells you this is clearly very important. Yeah. She is elevated and coming down a ramp. I don't want to put too much on this, but you know we'll see Darth Vader walking down ramps we also see Kylo Ren coming down ramps. There, that elevation. I don't think that's what they're going for here. It's it's more the elevation is I have authority in this situation and I'm come entering a space. It's also the case. Star Wars never fails to make hangers beautiful. <laughs> this is gorgeous. This whole thing is gorgeous with all the spaceships that are surrounding the action here. But in New Hope, when the Millennium Falcon flies in, that space is gorgeous. When um, 
Darth Vader flies into the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Gorgeous. And we're going to see this over and again. I, that's one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars. That that Right? Oh, it, yeah, cuz it's everything is everything is shiny, everything is there's there's steam and there's the art direction is brilliant. And they just always do that. Just every single time you get to see a hangar. I mean, on Hoth it's the same way. Hoth has this beautiful ice cavern hangar. Yeah. Well played. Folks, the power dynamic is here in the first two lines. Anakin says, Soka, I'm so glad. We'll have to catch up another time. You know everything you need to know. Things are moving quickly. Every minute we waste here gives Maul an opportunity to slip away. Kenobi, we understand. Please, follow me. Kenobi taking charge right there. We get that this is a professional meeting. So yeah. go ahead and shut down your emotions. You need to be cautiously optimistic like I am. And I'm the one who, for Kenobi, Kenobi actually does have a reason to be emotional right here and is seeking to showcase to his Padawan, this is how it's done, young man. Skywalker, however, look, <laughs> looks quite rejected as they not having it. step into the map room. Any other thoughts on the awkwardness at play here? Yeah, there's there's clearly a lot happening that's unsaid. Yeah, and and even if you don't know what it is, which I don't. Yeah, um, there's clearly history and and things that all four of these characters could be saying to each other that they're not. Yeah, and that tension is in there really well. Good. It's really it's re, it's done really really well in a way that is confusing if you don't know and makes you want to continue watching either this the episodes or. In the in the case of the binge laid out in this podcast, yeah, it makes you want to lean in and learn more. That, that's that's good storytelling. Again, if if the creators are going for this as an entry point for viewers, which I think they are, they've done it exactly right. You don't need to tell everything. But Star Wars at its worst actually can be those spots where it feels like it has to tell you every little detail. No, yeah, give me some stuff that makes me intrigued. In anything where you're telling a story, whether it's film or television or theater or, or books, you don't want to hold your audience's hand. Yeah. You want to assume that they're smart enough to notice that things are happening. And if you're not going to tell them the answers right away, at least that they're going to be able to track that something is happening worthy of being paid attention to. Yep. And the the stories or plays or shows where you can tell that they're not playing to the top of the audience's intelligence and thinking you need to hold their hand all the way through it feel condescending and not worth watching. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of self-reference to the binge as we keep talking through this because it's the first episode and we're diving in here, but this it makes me so glad that this is an entry point because of the beauty, because of the quality, because it does throw you into a, the middle of a situation and just says, you're, you're smart enough to figure things out. Pay attention. Listen. It'll make sense in the end. Uh, we're good storytellers. Yeah, trust us. We're going to tell a good story. Ahsoka uh, begins to explain that Bo-Katan has been tracking Maul's movement for several months. I was able to obtain some transmission codes from the Pikes on Obadiah, which helped her pinpoint some of his previous locations. What were you doing on Obadiah? That's a long story, and not really relevant right now. Again, I think trying to control the situation, and she just has none of it. It's a long story, not really relevant right now. Moves on. <laughs> Bo-Katan <laughs> says, What is relevant is that we know Maul is on Mandalore in the city of Sandari. 
Kenobi says, You're certain of this? He arrived two days ago. So why not take him yourself? Or to be more specific, what do you want from the Republic? I don't have the numbers needed for a siege. Without a complete lockdown of the city, Maul will escape again. That's why I'm proposing a joint operation. If we are successful, you'll have Maul, and I'll have Mandalore. Which I like that she knows that. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many impetuous characters mm. in storytelling, and even in this universe, yeah. right, that, that would just rush into something unprepared. And, and I like that Bo-Katan knows this is important, and if I'm going to do it, it's worth doing right, which means I need help. Yeah. And as much as maybe I don't even want to, it's these people. I like that she is she is a good enough soldier and a good enough leader to know that sometimes you should ask for help. We're going to talk a lot through the Clone Wars about the tacticianers. There's only a handful of tacticianers on the Republic side or on the side of goodness, as it were, and she's definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. A lot of times her ambitions are often thwarted, as we as we know, because we've seen her in The Mandalorian, that she has not yet yeah. taken the object of her desire, which is at play here. I mean, I assume I assume you would know that, yeah? She she wants to retake Mandalore. Yeah. But what is it going to require for her to, to take power in Mandalore? The Darksaber. She needs the dark saber. What I really like that you get to see even in the Mandalorian is she doesn't get the thing that she wants. Mm -hmm. And rather than go crazy or immediately start fighting for it, I think she's willing to wait. I think she's, you know, th this yep. is a character who's totally fine playing the long game. Yep. So, at the, yeah. So at the end of season two of the Mandalorian, she does not get the thing that she's spent the whole season wanting to get, yeah. which is the dark saber. And rather than immediately go after Mando, she just kind of falls back and is still with the group. Yep. You can tell her brain is constantly moving and she's thinking about how she's going to get that thing, which is, it's just, she's such a great character and I, and I, and very quickly becoming one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Yeah. Good. She has, she has, again, lots of movement for this character and we'll talk about that next time. Bo-Katan says then to Kenobi, if we are successful, you'll have Maul and I'll have Mandalore. There's a politician's mind here. There's a tacticianer's mind here. Obi-Wan responds, If Republic forces aid you in your assault, it will break treaties that are a hundred years old. We will effectively be drawn into yet another war. Bokatan says, and I think rightly, What's one more? Because these are the Clone Wars. There's plenty of wars going on. This is Star Wars. That's sort of... Don't you know the name of the series that you're in, Obi-Wan? Anakin uh, yeah. reestablishes his correct place in this circle with some humor. Well, we're not finished with our first one yet. Got to finish the war you start before you can have another one. Basic to the galaxy at this point in time, this I suppose would be important, is that Kenobi and Anakin see the war at hand being that between the Republic and the Separatists. And that is a different engagement from what Bo-Katan is proposing, which is the war of Mandalorian independence from Maul and Maul's oversight. Yeah. And I suppose it's just important to note that as a separate yet perhaps interconnected conflict within the galaxy as a whole. Everything seems connect disconnected at this point, but but in reality it's all it's all the same thing. Yeah. Well, well let's uh, let's put a pin in that. How is this connected to everything else will be something we see in the third episode of the arc. And let's put a pin in that. That's, uh, that's what that's worth talking about. Totally. Kenobi says, I will advise the Jedi Council of this development. 
Jedi Council decides all military operations for the Republic. And Bo-Katan says, There's no time. Maul's influence on Mandalore is destroying my people. He murdered their ruler. My sister. I thought she meant something to you. And Kenobi says, She did. And still does. But I cannot allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. The Council will decide what our course of action will be. Kenobi steps away, and Bo-Katan says to Ahsoka, I told you this was a waste of time. Again, we're, we're, we just entered somebody else's house, and they're having a family fight, and we don't know anything, but we're hearing some of the backstory. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you hear in this, in this exchange? Because it's important. I'm going to I'm going to continue your analogy of you've entered someone's home and you're hearing a family fight because you know nobody knows how to push your buttons like your family or your friends who become family and clearly in in her attempt to to appeal to to these guys and get help it's not really working so so she flips to that emotional thing like this is this thing that's important to me and I thought it was important to you too yeah because I think she knows that as much as Obi-Wan Kenobi wants to say that, you know, oh, emotions don't cloud my judgment, that dude's judgment is nothing but clouded with emotion. Even when he's saying he's not, it is. Like, he might as well be saying, sorry, I'm too upset right now. I need to step away from this. He's not saying, I'm not going to let my emotions. It's, it, it is, I have already allowed my emotions to get all up in my business, and I need to go cry in the bathroom. Yeah. So emotional, he can almost just hand this off. I'm going to take all these things that I feel so passionately about, bottle them down, and let somebody else decide. Yoda will will let you know if we can do anything. Which I'm not a therapist. Yeah. But that seems like a really <laughs> bad idea. It seems like a really bad problem management skill. I mean, we could we could probably talk about a handful of points in time where Kenobi being <laughs> unable to communicate to others how he feels screws some stuff up. Yeah. Hey, it's like we're most of his character. But it's it's just done very well. And again, I'll I'll end up starting my own just Bo Katan appreciation podcast, clearly, at, <laughs> at the end of this. Because I'm just gonna I'm gonna go back to talking about her. But it's it, it's clearly such a smart move. Yeah. To just poke at him like that. Like she knows. And it's it's it doesn't work. It doesn't seem like it works. She doesn't get exactly the, the the result she wanted, but it does work. Yeah. She moves him off his position. He has to yeah. react to her, and he does so with some authenticity. The line she did and still does is, you know, deep foreshadowing. We're clearly going to see that story play out. There's something that's gone on here between Kenobi and Bo-Katan's sister, and... I don't know that anything else needs to be said there, but there's apparently something has happened that has a major hook in a character that we care, care about. Completely. Boom. Anakin, as uh, Kenobi and Bo-Katan leave. So, that went well, all things considered. <laughs> Since our family is in argument, I mean... Yeah, you had to bring up dad, didn't you? But you know, we, yeah. we didn't. At least we didn't <laughs> degenerate to blows this time. It's a, uh, which feels very reminiscent of Obi Wan Kenobi telling Qui Gon Jinn, "You were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short." <laughs> it's a nice little throwback. <laughs> On that point, 
You two certainly haven't changed. Yannikin, not knowing where to get some traction, says, Is that a bad thing? And she just gives him a look. For, the, for those just listening to the podcast and not seeing her do that, that means yes. Yeah. Clearly, that is to have not changed over that much time clearly is a bad thing. Anakin has one play to make, and he is going to make that play here. And for, for those who are familiar with uh, Star Wars Animated, this is going to be a deeply emotional moment. For those who are, who are first time through, I'm real curious how you respond to, to what we see in this next scene. Because he says, Come on, I have a surprise for you. They begin walking down a hallway past clone soldiers who pause and they uh, stand at attention. They give Ahsoka full energy and they call her Commander. Routinely, Ahsoka is called Sir throughout this. That's not a masculine term. That is much more a like the medieval sire. Right. It is you are a knight and I am giving you the appropriate designation. And so Commander, Sir. And Ahsoka says to Anakin as they walk together. They shouldn't salute me anymore. Not since I left the Order. Again, foreshadowing for us. This, by the way, is the only, there's only two big spoilers we are going to tease here at the outset. The first is that Ahsoka was part of the Jedi Order and she left. And the second is that Obi-Wan Kenobi had a relationship with Bo-Katan's sister. It's, those are really the only spoilers that we're going to see in this arc. By we're, Again, we're starting with the prolopsis. And so here there is some stuff that we know that's going to inform later, you know, backstory. But any thoughts uh, as they're walking here? Yeah, it, it does feel like it's another moment that just shows how important we, and by we I mean the audience, need to be paying attention and realizing that Ahsoka is. She's not a member of this thing anymore, and yet she still commands the same respect and address that somebody who was still part of the actual organization would command. Yeah. She's important. That even in the face of her turning, turn, quote, turning her back on the thing, the, the reverence for her is still so high from everybody. Yeah. And, that's, and that clearly is worth paying attention to. She's a military vet. She, is, uh, she might as well have medals across her chest and uh just because you're honorably discharged doesn't mean you don't get to be addressed with high respect and that's what Anakin then says it doesn't matter to them it's a sign of respect they know what you went through for them day after day battle after battle loyalty means everything to the clones and then we have an emotional moment the doors open we see rex who we met before, he is standing in front of the 501st and they have all painted their helmets with the symbol and colors that characterize Ahsoka. And he calls all the clones to attention and they take on an honoring formation and they turn as though this is a dignitary or a commander who is present. As soon as Rex and the guys knew you were back, they got to work. And Rex comes over and he feels very comfortable with her. It's very different from the straight back attention posture the remaining clones are engaging. Rex says, The paint job's a little crude, but we think it gets the idea across. Glad to have you back, Commander. Deep familiarity there. 
in the in the tone. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka says, "Rex, thank you, but you don't have to call me Commander anymore." And he says, "Sure thing, Commander." <laughs> Thoughts on this? You know, I know enough having having watched the Mandalorian, and the emotion of this scene is not lost on me. Mm-hmm. It's that's a powerful moment. It is the case. And we're going to see this throughout the Clone Wars animated. What you put on your armor matters. Yeah. Every single time. Like there's there's not one time that any of the clones put something new on their armor where it's not central to who they are. Yeah, it's it's almost like a billboard saying this is this matters to this is something or someone that is worthy and has great value to me. Yep. Even though it's the case that some of these guys may take the paint off eventually it's a identity statement not yeah. only are you part of our family it's you define our family mm, yes you know what i mean yeah and so even if we're engaging these characters for the first time and that would be again one of the risks some of the best moments of this arc are the connection between ahsoka and the clones we sure see that there is earned love and admiration between she and rex in between she and this whole company of clones. So we should assume background, we should assume connection, we should assume brothers in arms who have fought the battle day after day, and there's loyalty. And that's super important. And we're actually gonna see some of that here in a minute. One last thing that's worth noting that uh, may get missed in translation is that Rex and Ahsoka never got to say goodbye. Another elevated emotional moment for those who are familiar with that that fact that there's sometimes you have those separations uh, of people that you love and don't get to, to say the goodbyes you want to and this has a different level there they're getting to say hello in a way that anakin when they're meeting to have be filled with connection and care for one another, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. Rex showed up and said, I painted the, our helmets for you, and it did. I feel like the difference there is how those two guys approach her in, in friendship, where it feels like Anakin's friendship with her is a little bit selfish mm-hmm. and for him. Yeah. Whereas Rex's friendship is much more of a real friendship in the sense that we value each other yeah. emotionally, but also outwardly. I'm showing you how important you are to me coming back into my life as opposed to Anakin, who is kind of only concerned with how she's going to react seeing him. That's exactly right. Anakin wants her to make him feel better about himself. He loves her, but he, he needs to know that things are cool, and she doesn't give him that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think I I put this together, but this just this putting a pin into something that is set aside for a long time. But given her arc, knowing she never got to reciprocate to Anakin in this moment that she cared about him matters, because the next time they see each other, she will. And just to put a pin in that. we'll take that up in 2023 but um i I hadn't put that together her her how she feels about anakin is unresolved in this moment and it's gonna have to wait damn that is huge 
didn't think about that at all. Anyway, um, Anakin then says, Oh, I have one more surprise for you. Hands her a box, and, and then an alarm sounds. Kenobi enters. Anakin, Rex, prepare all forces. We're jumping to hyperspace immediately. Yes, sir. Man, with me! Anakin says, So the attack on Mandalore was approved. No, it's Coruscant. Grievous has attacked the capital. What about the Chancellor? Shock T has been sent to protect him, but Master Windu has lost contact with him. Not to worry. Our fleet can be there within the hour. The narration at the beginning showed us that the Jedi had been spread out thin across the galaxy, and now we can see why. Oh, yeah. They're having to quick get back into formation and protect the center of the galaxy because Coruscant is the capital and so it's essentially Washington DC is under attack from from the Nazi forces the image here or no from Confederate forces because mm -hmm. uh, that's what the the separatists are a confederacy um, any thoughts on on that that quick move if we know what's coming if we, if we know what gets done with specifically with order 66 spreading them out like that is genius because you know they're going to be spread out mm -hmm. most of them are going to be with trooper um escorts mm -hmm. they're, they're mm -hmm. not together you know what i mean and that's the that's the easiest way to, to to destroy something is to split them all up first and then take them out one by one when they can't regroup and attack yeah it's again one of the just the delights of watching this episode is knowing how episode three is going to begin yeah, and what's going to take place. And the show creators here are saying, how do we get everybody in position for the events? And how do we make you care just a, a, a little bit more, even a lot more yeah. <laughs> for all of the, the players involved? Yeah, who you only know is, is you know, weird prosthetic heads that you didn't get to, to yep. spend any time with. A quick footnote because we're going to look at this character soon is Kenobi mentions that Shakti is protecting the emperor and we can assume given episode three that Shakti is no longer protecting the emperor that she's going to die in protection and if we care about Shakti as we will we definitely will <laughs> then that's just kind of a it's it's a little footnote and it's it's worth it's worth hearing here so Ahsoka says to Obi-Wan, angry. So that's it. You're going to abandon Bo-Katan and her people? Ahsoka, surely you understand. This is a pivotal moment in the Clone Wars. The heart of the Republic is under attack. Which is which feels like such a such a like condescending, like mansplaining thing to do. Like, I'm upset. You've done something wrong. <laughs> well, okay. Calm first of all, calm down. Second of all, can't you actually see what's important here? It just feels like to go with an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. Feels like somebody trying to get the high ground <laughs> in a conversation in which they do not deserve to. I was going to say, I think that Kenobi is being real reasonable here. Like, I would love to help you out. I am a general in the U.S. Army and Washington, D.C. is under attack. And the high command just said, hey, you need to return to defend the city. I can't help with this side operation. I mean, I'm sure there's some of that in there, but the, I think the way in which he chooses to talk oh. to her is very bel belittling and dismissive. Sure. I see what you're saying. 
Which and and that happens a little bit in how he talks to Bo-Katan as well. I feel like the 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 women in in these several scenes, these two women are the the ones who really have the the power mm. in the interactions, and it's it's these kind of insecure dudes trying to get it back. Yeah, they are clearly principled and fighting for something worthwhile. Kenobi is is a company man. He's playing politics and he's a coward because if he goes and does these other things, then he has to confront a bunch of things that he's repressed well, emotionally. Yeah, but also, I mean, he doesn't know. He's bought into the Republic. He's bought into the Jedi Order. He thinks defending Coruscant is the right thing to do. And I assume would think that that's primary over Mandalore because he would be having to break all those treaties. He would have to go rogue in order to help, yeah? Yeah, I agree with you. But I also feel like there's an element of if he goes and helps with this, it also means all of the emotional things that he's tried to bury and run from are just naturally going to come up as well because we've seen him running yeah, from it through true. this whole conversation. So <laughs> so yes, there is that. But he is also too much of a coward mm. to deal with how he feels about these other things. So it's it's both of those things. Yeah. And I think it's the part of him that's a coward that's kind of making him be a little bit of a dick to Ahsoka. Yeah. Oh, how convenient. I have to go defend the Capitol. Yeah. Sorry. I think I hear my mom calling me. <laughs> well, Ahsoka is fully bought into her connection to Bo-Katan and their objectives. Mm-hmm. And this is her opportunity to unleash some anger. And she says, I understand that as usual, you're playing politics. This is why the people have lost faith in the Jedi. I had too until I was reminded of what the Order means to people who truly need us. Right now, people on Coruscant need us. Again, you're exactly right. It's disconnected. No, the Chancellor needs you. That's not fair. I'm not trying to be. I just say that's really great writing. Yeah. She's playing chess really well in in this moment, and, and she has all the right moves. Like, Obi-Wan keeps moving his queen and she keeps going back to you know she keeps yep she keeps putting him in check that's funny it's just done yep. it's just done really well and she's she's spot on and i think he knows that she's right he at least has a heart for her cause yeah he's not gonna act on that and he's he's not gonna essentially do the right thing but he knows that she's right yeah this is again a consistent with obi-wan's character of shutting down his desires for the sake of the stoic jedi philosophy that he embraces as principle and here it is like i would love to defend and reclaim the ancestral home of people who i love at the highest level and i i'm not going to i'm going to do what my religion says what my commitment to this military says i need to do yeah doesn't that almost feel like a corrupted version of the Jedi code? You know, like the, the true yeah. way to be a Jedi is to not even have to go through that process. Yeah. It's just you're presented with a situation and you're like, well, logically, it's being a Vulcan, right? It's like, well, logically, this is the only thing that yep. this is the only thing we can do. So I, I feel like by saying I'm going to intentionally choose the not emotional thing, you, you've already let your emotions get the better of you. You've then just decided to suppress and ignore them and run in the opposite direction, which is going to have catastrophic consequences on people you care about and that's the one thing that i think obi-wan kenobi never ever thinks about in in his desire to quote do the right thing i think he only thinks about how it will affect him and his mission and he doesn't because people who try not to be emotional i feel like tend to not think about the consequences externally and everybody he cares about is going to get killed yeah 
it's not too much of an overstatement to say this is what I think the entirety of Star Wars is about. It's not just that the Sith have it wrong, the Jedi have it wrong. What does it look like to bring balance to the Force? And what does that even mean? Yeah. And Filoni has said some stuff in recent interviews that is really outstanding, which we will we'll get to uh, in some of our later episodes. But it comes out here. You know that this isn't quite the right move. It could be argued for on principle, but you know that there's there's something going on here that um, just it doesn't quite sit well with me. Yeah. And what is it that the Jedi are missing? We know the Jedi are missing something. The Jedi Order falls apart because they're not healthy. My knee-jerk reaction answer to that is compassion. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about about what they're missing throughout 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 all the the episodes. I want to put I want I want to hold off because I, I just because I know that we've recorded on this. Um, gonna hold off on that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I have forgotten that. You're right. <laughs> well, Anakin ends up stepping in as a problem solver. And he says, uh, to relieve the tension, I'll divide the 501st, make a new division under Ahsoka's command. To which Obi-Wan says, Unfortunately, Ahsoka is no longer a part of the Grand Army of the Republic. We'll promote Rex to commander and have him lead the new division. Ahsoka can go with him as an advisor. What do you say? I accept. That is, if Obi-Wan agrees. Obi-Wan does defer here very well may the force be with you uh, one other thing i killed maul once just to capture him he doesn't seem to stay dead thoughts on that i really like that as an exit line because because it feels like a little moment and it's not much but but in in who that character mm -hmm. is anything i think is in any little bit of it is something it is uh, it is an awareness of the stakes the emotional stakes at hand and what he could lose what they could lose what anakin could lose with with ahsoka and saying we went after this guy once and essentially i lost everything i care about mm-hmm you know, yeah. go into this really prepared. It's it's not him saying, I care about you and I'm worried about you in so many words, but it is. Yeah, I agree. It's not redemptive, I think, for his sort of condescending attitude towards everybody in this situation, but it, but it is a moment where we get to see kind of under the mask for him a little bit, I think. Yeah. It is likewise a bit of foreshadowing. We'll see this throughout Star Wars, but anytime someone says, may the force be with you, that often can be a, a sign that this is their send-off or they're not going to see each other ever again. It's the um, equivalent of a character like coughing into a handkerchief and, and being like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then looking at it and it's full of blood. It's like, oh, that guy's going to be dead by the end of this movie. The Force will be with you always. Because <laughs> I won't. Cause, yeah, because I'm going to go <laughs> take care of this other business. It's also the case that this is the line that we expect later from Anakin or Ahsoka, but that's not how they're gonna say goodbye. Thanks for the support, as always. That's what friends are for. He turns to the box. If you're gonna face Maul, you'll need these. She had left her lightsabers at the uh, Jedi Temple when she left the Order, and she opens them. Blades are no longer green. They're now blue, so Anakin has replaced the kyber inside. I took care of them. They're good as new. 
capture Maul, I'll take care of Grievous. With any luck, this will all be over soon. And of course, the narrator says, this will not all be over soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a pause, but they weren't. It's the Ron Howard voiceover in Arrested Development. Master Kenobi always said there's no such thing as luck. Good thing I taught you otherwise. (laughs) Anakin. Good luck. And then he gives a look to her, which is something. It's I I've I've watched this a handful of times. It's a I know what they're going for here because this is the last time they're going to see each other. And if we've invested in all of Clone Wars, we know this is it. And so what how do you culminate this relationship, especially knowing what Anakin's future is? And so there is a emotion that's expressed that isn't quite affirmation. Right. It is We'll see how this all plays out. And she also has an emotion on her face that's, I didn't understand what you were trying to communicate right there. Yeah. Attempt at nonverbal communication is funky mm-hmm. in this moment, but the, the discussion about luck I really like. And also just thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's like, well, of course Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't think there's any such thing as luck because he's had really, really bad luck. But it's really all because of the way he is emotionally unhealthy that's actually causing him to make bad choices that might look like bad luck. Because I feel like people who think that there's no such thing as luck tend to make bad choices. And rather than be like... I'm probably unhealthy and I'm making bad choices and that's contributing to the bad things. People are like, I guess there's no such thing as luck and, you know, God's dead or asleep at the wheel. Am I right, everybody? Like, what else could it be? That is what Anakin was saying earlier, that this all had a purpose in Ahsoka coming back. And that's where Kenobi was not buying that, wasn't buying into this all having one big overarching purpose. But it's you know it's interesting that then he's so willing to believe the prophecy that Anakin is the chosen one mm. and and you know that's meant to be well, and all these other things he's not willing to I mean maybe that's even further proof you were supposed to be the chosen one and I just sliced you in half and threw you in a bunch of lava you know <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> or if it's a he's holding to that because that's something that he's based most of his adult life on and was a theory held by the most formative person in his life. So I wonder if it's yeah the inconsistency. And we've talked about this and we'll go on to talk about this, but the inconsistencies in the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi are, are, are vast and very complex and interesting. Yeah. And they're important to that. It's not bad screenwriting. It's no, it's, it's very intentional. As we talked about earlier, he's such a figure of virtue and what is best in this whole galaxy. When we see him in new hope, but start peeling back the layers and we see something else. That That is good character development. Yeah. I like this send-off of there is a bigger meaning here, and yet it is not embraced cleanly. It's we're stumbling through this. It's Wednesday. It's, <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're, it just keeps coming back. Yeah. Well, then we see the 501st descending to Mandalore. Mandalore is going to become an important location. Not only here, but it'll be important in Clone Wars, it'll be important in Rebels, and obviously it's going to be hugely important in whatever story they're going to tell moving forward with the Mandalorian. Um, And we see uh, Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, and Rex. A message comes in. Commander, I have Prime Minister Almec of Mandalore on the comm. Rex says, put him through. Prime Minister in hologram. What is the meaning of this invasion? The Republic presence here is a direct violation of our treaty. Which Kenobi 
told us earlier. And this will be a new character for us, and we'll talk about this character next time. Bokatan stares him down. Your time has come, Olmec. We know your malt puppet, and we are coming for him. Ah, Mistress Bokatan, the traitor. I should have known you were behind this incursion. Everybody else we've seen address her as Lady Bo-Katan in sort of a in sort of a respectful yep. way, whereas he chooses he very <laughs> intentionally chooses mistress, which is disrespectful, dismissive. Yeah, this is a person who may appear strong, but is is actually quite weak. Oh yeah, siding with the Republic will make you an enemy in the eyes of the people. I'm fine with that. Soka looks at her. And this is, uh, again, for later unpacking, but she says, You're nothing like your sister. Lot of setup for a confrontation. You got any thoughts here? This, this guy clearly is, is very weak, but, but sees himself as being very important in, in how he chooses to talk to, to, talk to this, this woman who we know is going to just drop the hammer on him. Yep. Like, and I can't wait. We cut to the throne room of Mandalore. This is actually going to be a very important location over and over again in Clone Wars, and I imagine going forward with Mandalorian. But we see Prime Minister Malak, who's giving directions to those with Mandalorian armor. And if we're familiar with Mandalorian or if we're familiar with Boba Fett, we'll be very familiar with the look of these characters. But this armor is painted red and black. Saxon, prepare our forces for an all-out attack. Rook, inform the syndicate of the invasion. Just a name drop right there, but if we've seen Solo, we'll be familiar with the crime syndicate. And so it's, again, kind of an anchor into other parts of the Star Wars universe. Soldier says, It's been a while since we had a fight like this. Are you ready? Well, we're fixing to find out. (laughs) Right. Don't have a choice. There's going to be an invasion. Mm -hmm. We're going to cut to what for me is a top five scene in all of Star Wars. Love the hell out of this scene. We see 25 or so gunships descending towards the surface. Each of these have 30 or so troops within it. Bokatan says, Ursa, can you confirm the target's location? Ursa is a spy that's on the ground in Mandalore, so they already have folks who they're relying on. And we hear back. I can only confirm that Maul has not left the city. All other attempts to locate him have been blocked. Saxon is already scrambling his defense. And then the music starts with this explosion. And the gunship is suddenly rocked by flak from the surface. The doors of the gunships are thrown open. And we see troops with jetpacks jumping out. And we see gunships being blown apart all around us. And we see the red Mandalorian soldiers ascending towards the gunships with jetpacks and they are attacking the 501st soldiers. Bo-Katan yells, what are you waiting for? Get out there. And she and her crew jump out the side of the ships because of course they have jetpacks. And Rex suddenly realizes he didn't bring Ahsoka a jetpack. <laughs> looks, that's, that's, that's a bad moment for you when you're like, oh, yeah. uh, I guess no parachute Oops. for you. <laughs> yeah. We in, we invited you here, but... But... And Ahsoka says, Captain America, hold my beer. <laughs> Is he wearing a parachute? No. No, he wasn't. So Rex looks at her and says, Sorry, I didn't think to bring you a jetpack. Don't need one. Doesn't need one. Racing to the surface. 
And then Kevin Kiner unleashes the Force team. As we see Ahsoka Tano jump out the side and she begins bouncing from enemy fighter into a gunship, slicing apart opponents, grabbing hold of enemy combatants by their jetpacks, riding them onto other ships. And her movement here is gorgeous. It's balletic and we are watching her just artistically cut apart what seemed to be an elite set of Mandalorian soldiers and we hear the force theme going in full splendor. Like this is just like Luke on the barge uh, in front of Jabba. This is just like Anakin on the bridge. At this moment, like she is a precision instrument. Yeah. Her entire being is clearly in tune with itself, in tune with the force and the whole thing is a weapon. Yep. There's three or four times where all she does is just with a lightsaber, nick the top of, of somebody's jetpack, and then whew, yep. and then they're gone. Like it's just such a, Quick, clean, as little as little time as it takes as possible, and then on to the next thing. Like it's not a weapon in the sense of Rambo, like I have been trained to destroy everything in my path, or like Wolverine. Right. She is fully self-actualized. And that's what the music is telling you. Is I understand exactly who I am, who I'm here for. And even though she has left the Jedi Order, she is something more. Now, because the force theme, what happens with Kiner's music here, he locks the force theme in with Ahsoka Tano's theme, and he makes them one song. And that doesn't happen very often at all in Star Wars, where you, you take their character theme and you overlap it. I don't know that it happens ever again in all of Clone Wars. I know there's a moment in Rebels that they do something similar, but those who oversee the musical canon for Star Wars are real careful with not doing this. Mm -hmm. They save these moves for only when it's most important. It's one of the reasons I love this scene so much is if you invest in this character, this is her coming out as a fully integrated force wielder. Yeah, I would I would agree, which I, which I feel like we get to see again in The Mandalorian when she has that yeah. fight she understands the she understands the necessity and economy of of movement and strength and when to exert a lot of force yep there's a reason why this character is clearly so important to so many people and it's is really on display here yep that's uh that mandalorian scene that's her hallway scene we're gonna we're gonna wreck some red shirts I'm going to show you what I can do. Yeah. My favorite of those sorts of scenes is the beginning of X2 with Nightcrawler breaking into the White House, where it's just, let me just show you what this character can do when it's just against normal humans at the at their the height of their powers. Yeah. And it's and it's a, that's another scene where the precision and economy of the energy used is clearly measured and thought out. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not demonstrative in a way, just to continue with the X-Men theme, it's not sort of theatrical and demonstrative in the way a character like Magneto tends to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not just all-out feral destruction like like a character like Wolverine is. It is, it is yeah, it's, it is a like measured tactical. Yeah. Only doing what you need to do to get what you want. It's all dance. Yeah. The beauty of the fighting style is almost as important as its efficacy. Completely. Well, of course, the whole time gravity is pulling her to the ground and she is moving alongside the 501st towards the surface of Mandalore. 
She then sees a gunship that's on fire and going down. This is a great save the cat out of the tree moment. You know, where, again, <laughs> if this is the first time you're seeing this character, does she care about people? And, and that's what's displayed here. You know what I mean there? I do, I do. And I agree. The pilot's locked inside. She launches herself off the front of a starship, grabs hold of the side. The cockpit won't open, and so she pulls out one of her blades, cuts it open. The pilot looks at her with deep gratitude, and he jets out. And we think, well, now she's going to go down with this ship. And instead, she grips the side of this and just rides the gunship into a large landing strip. And she releases it like a missile at the last second, flies off it into this acrobatic flip. And we watch that explosion backlight her like she's Iron Man. She pops up, blades her out. <laughs> she, she breaks with her lightsabers pops up she stares down two dozen red and black soldiers and she is ready to dish out pain yeah in the mid-2000s i do not remember why but will ferrell did a sketch for some award show yeah because there were a lot of superhero movies just starting to come out <laughs> and they did a song that was called i think it was called like cool characters walk away from explosions yes. and like type of how they don't look back oh my god how do they walk away in movies without flinching when it explodes behind them there's no way when they flew the Millennium Falcon outside of the Death Star and it was followed by the explosion, that was bullshit. <laughs> Don't you damn bad no Star Wars. That was all accurate. I need an MRI. I need an MRI. I've got soft tissue damage. There's no way I don't have soft tissue damage. <laughs> and I know that that's what they're doing. And at the same time, I saw The Punisher. I've seen that scene. I've seen Iron Man. I've seen that scene. This one's better. <laughs> it just is. Like, what and, she, and, what is exploding behind her? It's filled with meaning, and her movement is filled with beauty, and it's just one of those, damn! Well, and maybe it's on the nose, but sometimes that's okay. Yep. You know, there's the scene in Roger Rabbit where, he's, where he talks about, like, quote-unquote craft and everything else, but then there's the moment where Roger Rabbit also says, sometimes we do it, we just do it because it's funny. <laughs> right, right? Sometimes you just and do it because... Because it's cool. It's, it's good, I think it's cool. It's okay to do that every once in a while if you do it really, really well, and this is done exceptionally well, yeah. so I'll allow it. <laughs> well, Rex and Bo-Katan arrive a little bit later. They say... Hey, you. Some things never change. Which is another just great, playful, yeah. playful moment that clearly sets up their their friendship and their bond in such a um, such a genuine way. Yep. Cut to the streets of Sindari. Gar Saxon, who is the lead Mandalorian general, who is introduced for the first time in all of Star Wars, right here. So this is a new character. It says, "We're meeting stronger opposition than anticipated. They've already taken the docks and are moving on your position." The prime minister says, "Escape to the undercity." Understood. And again, this character is dressed like Maul, appears to be the elite leader of the elite company, I, I assume is what's going on here. Mm -hmm. We then cut to Rex. No sign of Maul yet. We can't sustain a long siege. I'll head for the throne room and deal with Almec. And then she looks at Ahsoka and says, You must find Maul. Soka says to Rex, I want you to support Ursa at the docks. We must ensure Maul doesn't escape. Again, Ursa is the spy. If he's here, 
If he's not, then all of this plays right into his hands. Foreshadowing there. That feels like a lot of exposition and here's where all the characters are going kind of scene. Yeah, how do you get how do you get them up there? How do you get them down there? And how do you set up the two things that need to happen to to end this episode? Rex gets communication. Commander Rex, this is CTO two nine two. I think we have something. I'll be right there, Captain. And we see them go in underground, like they said, where Prime Minister Elmec just said that his team was going to regroup. And so we realize there's going to be some sort of confrontation underground. And there are 20 or so 501st soldiers that are in these tunnels. And Ahsoka turns to one of them. Captain Bond, what have you got? We were cutting off this access point to the Undercity when we engaged one of the leadership, Gar Saxon. He disappeared through there. Seemed in a hurry. What's down there? A system of tunnels, sewage ports mainly, some conduit access pipes. Do they lead outside the city? Unknown, sir. Let's move in. Again, any thoughts here? Anytime there's a like a chase through a sewer or a chase through like any kind of conduit or ductwork or anything like that. Seven. It always makes me think of the movie Alien. Six. Yeah. It can't be. That's inside the room. It's reading right, man. Look. Well, you're not reading it right. Might be coming from above you. Yeah, it's Five the first meters, thing it always man. makes me think Four. of. It's like, don't go into the dark. The great thing about darkness in these, anytime you're in the darkness, those lightsabers are going to look awesome. Yeah, that's true. Uh, one total side note, Vaughn is my family name, and my great-great-grandfather was a captain. So Captain Vaughn right here. Talking with Ahsoka. That's awesome. Makes me happy. Yeah. So we cut to the Mandalorian throne room again. Prime Minister is wearing Mandalorian armor. He is receiving a hologram message. The Jedi was sighted entering the lower city. And Almec says, it's just as our Lord predicted. There's an explosion then, and Bo-Katan and a set of her warriors run in. There's a battle that ensues, and Bo-Katan fights her way to the Prime Minister, and apparently she has some kung fu skills. Yeah, she does. Take some folks down. Where's Maul? You were never the politician your sister was. He wanted you to bring the Jedi here, but you brought the wrong one. Bo-Katan immediately pulls out her radio and says, Ahsoka, come in. You're walking into a trap. Ahsoka! The other thing she also does in that moment is almost kill him. Yeah. Like, she she shoots, and, like, I mean, she intentionally missed. But like, that, that is, like, four inches from his head. Yep. He's clearly overmatched. And he knows, which is why he's... Which is why he's petty. Yes. He's rubber. <laughs> he's just like, how can I slide out of this? Yeah, exactly. And it's just another one. Of, like, she does that clearly to intimidate him, but but doesn't spend so much time in the doing of it that she's not able to attempt to warn her friend. Yeah. Cut to the sewer system, and we see Mandalorians in red armor hiding in the shadows with dozens of soldiers as Ahsoka and six 501st clones are venturing through the tunnels. And so I, I feel anxious again in this, yep. this image. Um, it's again that aliens thing. It's, oh, the, the monster is going to jump out and get you. And then suddenly yeah. a rocket is launched. <laughs> yeah, and it could come from behind you, to your right, to yep. your left. It's not going to come from in front of you. 
it's going to come from somewhere where you can't see it. Yeah, the multiple directions of the tunnels makes it feel like that. It's There's almost like a, um urban battle feel here where you're in the tunnels, but like if you were you know, in some of these military operations that go into a city and you know there's, you know, guerrilla fighters waiting to pounce. That's that's the feel. Yeah, you're you're kind of bait. Yeah. You ha- you have walked into an ambush here. Yeah. And actually and that's exactly what's happened. She's they have walked into an ambush. Bokatan is warning her and it's gonna be too late because a rocket is launched. Ahsoka holds out her hand to stop it with the force, but the rocket is too close. It explodes, it knocks her down. The 501st get up and they start running like good soldiers after the assailants. And we hear battle sounds from down the sewer. Real great effect here. Mm -hmm. The, The distant battle sounds through the sewer and we're just with Ahsoka and she is getting her wits about her and then she gets up and starts running and she arrives to see dying captain vaughn we hardly knew ye yes but my family got we got to have a cameo it was a short time but what a time it was i'm sorry commander and ahsoka is spotlit and and he dies in front of her and then we see the red mandalorian soldiers emerge and they begin to surround her and then we hear metallic footsteps coming her way And we'll find out about why those are metallic footsteps. Sometimes when you get cut in half, you need to get some prosthetics, of course. Yeah. This is common in Star Wars, I suppose, having uh, your... your Robotic limbs. Severed body parts. (laughs) I was hoping for Kenobi. This is a good character introduction, though. I, I was so jazzed rewatching this because, again, it was the case that this like created six years after all the rest of Clone Wars had been created. And mm-hmm. getting a chance to sit down and watch an episode of this quality end like this, and I got to wait a week. I was, I lost my mind. I was so jazzed. Yeah, it's a, I hate having to wait for things. I'm not very patient. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I should say, in real life, I think I'm relatively <laughs> patient. But in terms of, I hope, in terms of television, it's oh, it's just so so to be able to watch this four episode arc in one sitting. Thank God, yeah, because I would have lost my mind. <laughs> Watched it. I watched this three or four times in anticipation. I was just like, I can't believe they're they're doing this. Yeah, it, and it's just obviously the the physicality of that character is so sinister. But mm-hmm. um, man, the voice they that voice is perfect too. Yeah, just that just that sinister clear. We'll do the deep dive on Maul next time, but the voice actor mm-hmm. is like a Star Wars encyclopedia. He's he's fantastic to hear. Oh, nice! Uh, very very knowledgeable person that brings just a lot of a lot of character to this. Perfect. The reintroduction of Maul is is also one of the high points of Clone Wars. You know, it's reintroducing Boba Fett. It's reintroducing these enemies you killed off a little too soon, but you understand who they are now, and now you use them correctly. The sort of retroactive redemption of these characters is not redemption because they're still villains, but like, re- like redeeming their value in the story. Yeah, John Favreau and Dave Filoni deserve a lot of credit for a lot of things, but yep. I think specifically this they've done. They're they are masters yep. at their craft. Children of the '70s and '80s, who this is like this. Your it's it's not just that you're part of the creation team; it's you grew up with this as your 
mythology and your lore and like all of your life has been invested in thinking through these elements. And when you get a chance to take George's Ferrari for a spin, like those, those, those guys can go 280 miles an hour and, and you're loving every minute of it. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or it's even, even more so the equivalent of like in the way that Brian Henson inherited the Henson workshop from his dad. It's saying, all right, yeah, here are the keys to your dad's workshop. Yep. And the worlds that he built that people have fallen in love with. Yeah. What are you going to build in here? Yeah. Good stewardship. Yeah. Tolkien's kid did that. You know, uh, essentially took all of J.R.R. Tolkien's notes and works, made a 10 volume set called The War of the Ring. And then he. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, they released the Silmarillion and they released uh, a handful of, of uh, the things that Tolkien was working on. Just a great steward. Great steward of those worlds. Yeah. Big time. Last word on this episode. I know I've said this before and we'll no doubt say it again as I continue to just get more into this world, but it feels like Star Wars in the sense that it feels like everything you like about Star Wars when you first discover it. There's great moments of character, there's great moments of humor, of humanity, and of just people kicking ass in a variety of different awesome ways. Like, bang. Well, here's what's up next. Um, We're going to go through this arc. So it's the last four episodes of the entirety of the Clone Wars. If you're following along with us, feel free to watch the rest of the arc. Um, we will assume that that you've seen it uh, for all of the remaining discussion. But if you don't want to, you can also just listen to us and, and watch it on the backside. But that's where we're headed, my man. Can't wait. So, hey, friends, as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. The music is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gorenson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material here is obviously owned by Lucasfilm and is used here for nonprofit educational purposes, a desire to expand the Star Wars fandom and elevate human virtue and knowledge. Yeah. That I know that's why you got into this. <laughs> I, I can't think of another reason to do something like this other than uh, philanthropy, really. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find our Star Wars binge list, what we've released so far online. We would love for you to share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. Uh, you got anything else? Nope. We did it. He's Daniel Mothershed. I'm Jeff Cook. If we are successful, you'll have Maul and I'll have Mandalore. You know why? Because this is the way. Because this is the way. I have spoken. (laughs) Set that up well.